Hi, this is Michael Buffer, and welcome to the Box Hard Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mikey Garcia. Yo, it's your boy, the odd guy himself, Malik King Scott. Hi, I'm Charlie Edwards. This is Fast Eddie Chambers, and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man, Joey Coastman. Hello everybody and welcome to episode number 78 of the Box Hard Podcast. I'm your host Joey Coastman. This time I'm not joined by Ayaz, he is away. We're joined by a special guest, former WBO Super Featherweight Champion of the World, Mr. Barry Jones. Barry, it's great to have you on. Thank you for filling Ayaz's shoes. And uh, of course, you're going to be with me for the uh, for the duration of the show, so I'm, I'm happy to have you on. Now, Joe, anything for you, pal, don't about that. I'm going to tell you, mate, he's sacked. <laughs> That's it. No room for him anymore. I'll be a regular. I'll be. Every, we'll do it every week. It'll be our show. It'll be fantastic. Hey, I'll hold you to that. Don't 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 say that. I'll, I'll definitely make you do it. Right. So we're going to start the show. It's of course the same way we usually do it. We're going to dive straight into part one. Part one being the review part of the show. We're going to start with a card that happened over in Puerto Rico, which I'm going to try and say with my my uh, Spanish sort of accent there. Uh, one fight to mention on the bill. Former world champion Demarcus Corley. He moved to uh, he moved to actually his 28th loss. It's, it's a shame. He's, he's kind of gone on a, a little bit too long. He fought over in Puerto Rico against a guy who was only 9-0 and with one draw. It was a unanimous decision in favour of his opponent, Giovanni Santiago. It went 10 rounds unanimously, as I say. So uh, that one was for the vacant UBF International Super Lightweight title. So I know Demarcus Corley, who, as I say, we had on the show a couple of weeks back, uh, he's, he's leaving Puerto Rico pretty pretty unsatisfied moving over now to a bill that took place in moscow russia one fight to mention really on this bill i thought we'd give a mention to valerie brudov he picked up a tko in round one it was only scheduled for six that's his 44th win now inside of 55 professional fights his opponent was down three times in round one and and the referee stopped it was a strange one the man only had one fight on his record and it was a loss so i'm not sure why he was actually in the ring with Brudov. Uh, that's really it for those fights. Moving over now to the big one, Barry. You were there, obviously, in attendance. Manchester Arena. It's been called many other different names as well. I think we should start with the undercard. Uh, I think we should start with the Nicola Adams fight. Obviously, making a pro debut. The two-time Olympic gold medalist took on Virginia Noemi Karkama, I think it might be said. Her record 4-2 and two with one draw going into that fight. What did you make of it, Barry? Well, it was never about the opponent. It was about it was just a homecoming. So, well, as such, I know it was in Manchester. It was just the, the debut of a, a, a double Olympic gold medalist, which is you know, the first time we've ever had that in, in the UK. Which was so it was just to get her out and get her introduced into to a new audience. I guess it was called, it was billed as a new era. Obviously, Fox Nation you know, teaming up with BT Sport, who's obviously a big big network, and and it, it was what we expected. You know, she she's not a big puncher. Women boxing in general doesn't really. Um, produce a lot of big punches, so it was always going to be points. And, so, and especially Nicola, she's busy, you know, very neat with her work, and and she did what we thought she did. She took took a couple of shots, which was nice. You know, you wanted to be a little bit competitive, but you know, she she'll move on. And the only problem Nicola has, she's a, she's a fantastic fighter. She's a fantastic personality. I think that's important for for the women's game going forward, where there's a lot of people who don't not really in love with the women's game or don't really have much interest in it, and 
So you need stars, and you need more, and just as much as you need stars, which Nicola Adams is, so is Katie Taylor. You need, more importantly, rivals, and that's also with Natasha Jonas, also just turning over now. That will help the women's sport because she is a rival of Katie Taylor. So that'll push the sport forward a little bit further. But it's a Nicola Adams. She boxed well, and. I think the next outing now is the 13th of May in Leeds. She'll be, obviously, she's from Leeds, and that's a, that will be the first time she's boxing in Leeds since she was 13 years of age, I think. And I think that, that makes it almost about 20 years ago. Yeah, you're right. It's um, yeah, she did what she had to do. She was a little bit, little yeah. bit over eager, I think, in some parts of it. But that's understandable, you know. I know that she, uh, she, she, she put on a, obviously a dominant performance. It was good to see. I, I actually really like Nicola Adams. I've, I've got a soft spot for. Her. I've had one for quite a while, and I'm very happy that she's moved into the pro ranks now, especially uh, with Frank Warren as well, which makes it very interesting. And as you alluded to there, Nicola, uh, Natasha Jonas has, has turned pro as well. A, a little piece the news there we're not actually going to be doing the news segment this week but uh barry's just told us something there which is always good <laughs> also on that bill um we're going to mention the the debut of daniel dubois i think i'm saying his name right there he was yes, in there yes, against, perfect. he was in there against marcus kelly one and oh um well to be honest it was it was pretty hard to believe that marcus kelly was a uh was was an unbeaten pro i know he'd only had the one fight but he was in awful shape barry let's be honest well, he, the problem is he, he comes to fight, and I'm not, I'm not just because I work for or partly for one of the networks. I'm not going to make out that it was a competitive fight for Daniel Dubois, and he's in danger of losing his debut. But the Marcus Kelly can come to have a go. The problem is he's just not very good, and and more of the problem is than that is he didn't look. He looked in terrible shape, and he was very short. Where Daniel is something like six foot six, Marcus Kelly is. Like five to ten or something like that. It was ridiculous. So it was a bad choice of first opponent. I'm not a promoter. I wouldn't want to tell people how to, how to do their jobs, but they should, they would have been better off getting some guy who was six foot three and useless. Six foot three and negative. They would have been better off a guy who looked to pass because he can't fight. That's what they would have been better off doing. I think Daniel Dubois at 19 years of age and a heavyweight. Which I think when you promote heavyweights, you you promote them different to any other boxer in any other weight because. There's box. People say it's all the time. There's boxing, and then there's heavyweight boxing, and it's almost like a different, almost like a different sport how you promote them because they can be worth hundreds of millions of pounds to to people to themselves, and also to people who promote them, and manager, and people involved in them. They are your pension fund if you have a good heavyweight in, in your camp. So you you nurture them more, a bit more carefully than you would any other weight, and that's so. He was never going to fight the guy who was going to beat him. But you, for guys, for people who don't know anything about boxing, you just kind of, anyone who has seen that, it was a little bit farcical that the guy was just so much smaller and fat. Let's be honest. I don't want to, no, I feel sorry for Marcus Kelly, but he was. He didn't look the part. You need someone who looked the part but couldn't fight. That's what you needed, ideally. And I, I sort of say this because really. It's meant to be a sport, and, and any any fight like that shouldn't be allowed. You shouldn't be boxing people above your level, but you shouldn't be boxing people who are not good enough for you either. But that's not, that's not how pro boxing works in bringing up bringing up prospects, I guess. Yeah, I think um, obviously Daniel Dubois didn't take too long to get to get rid of him. Um, obviously, it was a first round TKO. As I said, he moves to one and zero. Good start for him, nonetheless. Um, 
I think it, it was a bit frustrating because it was over so quickly. But I will say, you're right there. He did come to give it a go, Marcus Kelly. Not many times you see a guy in there. He knew it, he knew he was up against it, and he just went for it from the first bell. It reminded me a tiny little bit of Dorian Darch when he took on Anthony Joshua. He just went for it. He knew he wasn't going to win on yeah. points or anything like that. I quite I do quite like to see that from time to time. Also, it, moving up the Dorian Darch can sorry, Dorian Darch can fight a bit. You know, yeah. that's, he, he's not a bad little fighter, so. But yeah, it, it, it was what it was. He hit him as soon as he hit him with the right hand. You know, he hit him on the back of the head and and then or the side of the head and, and Kelly was he sort of none, none of this. And that was it then really. It was always going to be like that. So except for him look if he didn't look out so much of the shape and the size if it wasn't so so vast, then people would have been raving about Dubai's performance rather than say Well, I could have beat him. That's what most people would have been saying watching at home and that was the only the only negative. Yeah. But he's a nineteen year old kid. A baby in any terms, but as a heavyweight, he literally is in his infancy. So, you know, we'll see how he develops. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely an exciting future he has. Also on that undercard, Paul Butler picked up his 24th win inside 25 fights. Obviously, that one lost to Zelani Tete. Um, obviously, he picked up a TKO in round four. It was only scheduled for six. His man, his opponent, Carlos Ruben Dario Ruiz, Ruiz, who actually had a record of 21 and 9. Decent little record now, 21 and 10. Paul Butler's a fighter who, to be honest, Barry, I know you've been pretty high on um, since losing to Tete in... in you know, in in pretty bad style, to be completely honest, he hasn't really yeah. stepped into that kind of level. He's dropped down a level, and he's really fighting opponents that we don't really know and don't really want to see him in with. It's, it's a bit frustrating. I think they're finding it hard to get him a decent opponent. Why is that, Barry? It's, it's, uh, I, 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 I half agree with you, and I half don't. I think I think you're right. He is boxing people below his level. But he has boxing decent guys in, in those what was it five or six fights since he, since he since the the Tete defeat. He's boxing yeah. some decent opponents, but they're below the level where he is. I think Paul Butler. It don't mean it's, I don't mean he's the best boxer, the the best fighter we have in, in the UK by any stretch of the imagination. But for natural talent, he is one. Of, he is one, if not the best of natural talent. He really he's so naturally skillful. He, 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 any camp would have him when he went to, when he went to um, Joe Gallagher's gym Joe Gallagher must have just been he couldn't, probably couldn't keep a smile off his face because he got oh, God, will you train me <laughs> of course I'll train you well, why am I going to train you you're fantastic and and I think he's going to win a world title again but yeah you're right he's cleansed water since the Tete fight he needed a couple of confidence winning fights back because the Tete not, it was a devastating knockout but for me psychologically you can get over it. I've never been knocked out, but I mean, you can get over a knockout because you get caught with a good punch. That's boxing. But when you're a boxer, when you're a master boxer, like Butler is, and you get outboxed, that's psychologically worse, I feel, because you can't, you know, when you're the guy who always has an answer for what comes your way and you can't answer nothing back, then he literally just said, whatever you're, this, I'm, I'm beating you at the best of your game. So that's your best thing you ever do. You box the boxing, the moving, the boxing, the picking your punches, and I bested you in everything you can do. And then that can mess with your brain. That that takes away your confidence. And, and I think Butler went back flying. He had a couple of fights, and then needed to step into the into world level cricket. And I agree with you in that much. But I think I've heard, and this is no secret, you know, the rumours are there that that the Jane McDonald fight is very very close to being made, and it's a very hard fight for both. I think it's a very hard one for Butler. Jim McDonald is, you can't underestimate his engine, one of the most underestimated and underrated 
fight that we have in the UK. And, you know, if that, if that fight can be made, it's a fight that Butler can win, for sure. But it's a hard fight for him, because, again, but McDonald's massive. But I think Butler also now has grown into bantamweight, rather than when he won the title back in 2014 against Stewie Hall. And I just don't think he was a natural bantamweight, and it was a big risk moving up at that time. But now he's grown into the weight, and I think he would probably... Make, well, I don't think he'd start a favour, because McDonald would be on this, maybe his fourth or fifth defence, something like that. Just, just top of my head, but you know, it'd be a good fight and a fight that but like, you know, if he's on form, he'd be good enough to win. Yeah, that is definitely a fight I'd like to see. And as you say there, um, Jamie McDonnell really not kind of getting that recognition. People forget he's uh, he's actually Britain's longest reigning world champion out of all the current champions. So, uh, you know, he definitely, he definitely, uh, yeah. in, in my opinion, would start the favourite in that one. But it's definitely a real good fight. I, I would like to see it. But a good win well, there well, for Paul Butler. Go on, Barry. Yeah, the problem. Sorry, the problem. I'm digressing a little bit here. The problem McDonald has is when he won the title, someone else was already WBA champion at the same time. So, you know that that farcical thing that WBA have with having two champions at every weight almost. That's that was a problem Butler had. So when he won the title, he didn't get any recognition for it. It's the same as Scott Craig a little bit got slated for winning the world title, which is crazy because someone else was already a world champion. It happened with Anthony Collar. But he didn't really get the, the stick that other fighters have had because Anthony's just the loveliest man on the planet. But you know, and again now with Nathan Cleverley, he's a world champion, but there's already a WPA world champion in place. So you know, it, it takes the shine off them, and they don't get the recognition that they expect because of that. And it's not the boxers' fault; they're just fighting. But it's it's the organisation's fault by adding titles onto weight divisions that we don't need. And that's totally off the topic. Sorry, Joe, but it has to be said, my son. No, that's all right. Said. That's all right. I think we should also throw uh, Lee Haskins' name in that hat as well. He's a man that, for me, is a little bit under underappreciated, and obviously, you know, being in and around that mix and getting the better of most of those guys, he definitely deserves well, a little mention. Well, there. Lee Lee Haskins, I I worked on a fight at ESPN. It was it was a late notice gig, and he got beat in Belgium against um, Stefan Jamoy. Okay, it was a good fight there for the European title. And he was brilliant. It was, a, it was one of the most exciting fights you would see. I, I'm exaggerating that, but it was a really exciting fight. He just held his ground and swang with his, with his gym on, and he got stopped. But Haskins has got, has got criticised, and, and rightly so, in the past, he was he had, turn off, he had a turn-off TV style. So, I, mean, I mean, he was so negative in his movements because he's a clever guy, but he's too negative and too scrappy in his work because he tries to box like Nazim Hamid without actually having... He's a good fighter, but he hasn't got the it's quite the same skills as Naz. So it's not a lot of fights being scrapped, and he got criticised for that. But then the Jamoy fight, he was really exciting. And then he sort of, in the Butler fight, in the, the Stewie Hall fight, the key one, I thought, he went back to that same style of being a little bit too, too, little bit too negative and... And even though it's effective and you do what you do to win first before you try to please the crowd, but that's why he doesn't get mentioned in a lot of conversations because he's a guy who's had to beat, but he might think the joint out. And and I sympathise, I empathise with that because I, I, not, I didn't have the same style, but I was that sort of fighter as well where, you know, I was only exciting fights if the other guy made it exciting because I was never going to make it exciting because that means I'm going to get hit. And I didn't like getting hit. So, you know, I understand where he's coming from, but I think you know, that's why he gets left out in all these conversations because of his, his style. 
Yeah, no, I have to agree with that. But moving up this undercard, it was quite a big card, as I say. Zelani Tete was yeah. supposed to be on it, but it didn't end up happening. I was a little bit sceptical about that fight taking place from the get-go, to be honest. He's been out for quite a while. Well, Do you know well, any more on that? Barry, it's, it's, it didn't it's, happen? Yeah, I do. It, it's moved to a week Saturday, which whatever think that is, um, 22nd of, of April to that's Leicester. The, the Leicester. Okay, that's the uh, the top yeah, of the Yeah, and and yeah, Langford and the card and Tyrone Nurse, this is Joe Hughes, yeah, so it's moved to that card, which is uh if it gets moved again then it is a worry about but I think it's just been moved because of again, because of what with the T V commitments and how many fights were gonna be shown and, and this card was already big enough as it is and he doesn't sell tickets. I think that's a, another factor where so there was no point in keeping him on a show. Yeah, I would have thought. I don't know the ins and outs, but I guess that would probably be what it was. And and also there's more space as well. To show his fight on the on the Leicester bill because this one was this Manchester bill was was you know with what was it four title fight three title fights and a couple of good ten rounders so yeah, yeah I think that was, was the reason bill, yeah also on the bill uh, Zell for Flash Barrett I think he's the Brown Flash now he moved to sixteen and zero with a yep. TKO in round six he had his man down in the first round. Uh, as well, um, yeah, decent win there for for Flash Barrett. To be honest, Mark Heffron moved to fifteen and zero with a TKO in round two at super middleweight over Achilles Cesarbo. Uh, he came to give it a go a little bit as well. Um, Jim yeah, Kelly picked up his twenty first career win, uh, points win over ten rounds against Rick Godin. I didn't actually watch that fight to be honest, Barry. Was it was it worth watching? Was it a good fight? Yeah, yeah, it was. It was. A, it was. It was an interesting fight. I think it was a good fight to watch. You know, they both. No, they both committed themselves. Rick, Rick Godin is, is an underestimated opponent. He he took the Gary Kakoran fight a few years back, very very late notice, and you no, know, he lost, but he, he he pushed he pushed Kakoran all the way, and he did the same with Kelly. You know, I had I think I had about Jimmy Kelly by a punt in the end, or two punts or one point. Well, I think that was a I commented on the undercard for Box Nation before they went over to BT, and and I did the Kelly Godin fight. I had Kelly just winning it. But it was close, and I just think Gordon at the end, he's a counter puncher, he's an effective counter puncher, he's better than what he looks, he just didn't do enough work. And I think Kelly's probably, um, not engine, because they both had good engines. I think you know, Gordon hit Kelly with some cracking shots, really did, some beautiful uppercuts as well from range. He just, Kelly didn't, just was a little bit busier, and that's what I'm not put in his favour. But it was a good fight, it would be a lovely return. A lot of the crowd were booing, but I think that's because Gordon sold a lot of tickets. I think I think they're really well. Which, again, in these big bills, sometimes they sell so many tickets and they're on too early. And it's people forget it. Years ago, in these massive bills, you know, like I boxed on Ben and Eubank in Old Trafford in in '93, and I was I was first on. There was only five fights on the bill, in total. That was it. Obviously, there wasn't like it was. There was no network TV then, so it was it, it was on ITV. They only show the, the main fights, but. So they didn't have to have a big stack bill, but they didn't. They sold the they sold the arena on the main card, and that's you know that's how they sold it on. And then obviously the cheap undercard, I would imagine. But but and then the rest of you, you sell tickets, but it's it's almost you know negligible what you're going to sell for a big arena then. And and these cards in the modern era of promoting for boxing now, it's, it's a stack card of, of of fifteen, twenty fights or twelve fights, and it's. It's, it's, it's no, it's no good for the kids. Box. It's nice to get on, but you're selling tickets to all your friends. They turn up at seven o'clock, get it early, you know, and you've been on at five o'clock. It's, it's not really. Uh, it don't inspire you, you know, when you're on it when you're boxing. But and you know, I turn up for work sometimes, you know, to commentate on a fight. 
and I'm sat down writing writing things on a piece of paper, and there's only me and the officials in the arena, and there's a pro fight on. It's horrible. So people don't see that side of the sport. Or when 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 the TV's done and everyone's wrapping up and going home, you're leaving, and there's people walking into the ring to fight, and it, it's horrible. And I've been I've been both sides of that, and I've been top of the bill. And I've been I've been every I've been last on at one o'clock in the morning. I've gone out the ring in a ten rounder with a cauliflower ear hanging off my head, and I've been first on as well when it's when you know everyone's get putting it, getting changed into their into their dinner suits because it was that early. It's 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 a horrible people don't see that side of the sport. But yeah, that and the, so the, the cat, so the Kelly fight and the Godin fight, which I again I rambled on about. This is working with Steve Bunch too much. Yeah, I ramble on. I go pop with Yeah, I'm going to start coming in with the thirty seconds, Bow. That's all you got. <laughs> yeah, you got a bit that, 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 I know. Sorry, mate. That Godin Kelly fight is it's a good rematch, but it needs it needs it needs to, need to be a cheap undercard or something. It's a really good fight for it. Yeah. I know it's the same that. That that the main card didn't turn out the results that that could then go the other way because then they could have potentially box for the vacant British title which is obviously not vacant at the moment. And um, thank you, Joe. Move on, sir. It's your podcast. <laughs> also on the bill, Jack Catterall. He's been he's been um, criticised a little bit for being in you know boring kind of fights recently. He turned it round. It was a decent fight. This one. It only went three rounds. TKO victory for Jack Catterall. He moves to eighteen and zero. Martin Geffen was in there. He picked up. Well, his ninth loss, it was a bad night for him. His record now 28-9 and nine with one draw. Uh, it was for the WBO Intercontinental Super Light weight title, which Jack Catterall defends there. Geffen was down in the second round as well. Um, yeah, it was good to see Jack Catterall in a fight which wasn't boring. I don't want to knock him too much because he is very, very good. We shouldn't get too... Uh, too too critical because he is he's very talented. Some boxers, well, you know, he's he's very hard to beat. Uh, he couldn't really miss him with with the jab at some points. I think Geffen is a little bit over the hill now, in all honesty. But a good a good win there for for Catter, or a good name on his record as well. Barry, what was your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, uh, first of all, I think Geffen has been good, but he's good at the so he's, too, <laughs> he's too small. He's too small and and too long in the tusk. And and he and he he didn't quit. Well, he sort of quit. He knew he knew his career was over that night. Geffen just you could see he was on his knee and he just hit the referee because I no I said, that's not right and and he won't fight again now. Or he'll have a, he'll have two years on and he might come back and a silly mistake. But that's enough for him now. And so it was good matchmaking for for Castro because it was on because Geffen just had a good win with John Wayne Hibbert of course uh, uh, like well the weight that sort of gives him some sort of credibility. But he he was only ever a lightweight Geffen and he knows that. But Castro's a talent, but he's been too lazy. That's why some of the fights haven't been as exciting as he, he had two really good wins against Nathan Broth and, and also Tommy Stork, and he looked, looked supersonic. And you go, this is the star of the future. And then he, he showed some immaturity and some frustration and some childish behaviour in the way he he sort of reacted and always got disqualified for a couple of fights. But he's a talent. He just needs a bit more urgency in his work. He's sharp, and he needs to be sharp all the time. And when he is sharp, like we saw Saturday, how good is he? He's really good. And he's going to have to be good because the British champion. No, Tyrone Nurse is a hard man to beat, and that's the, that. Obviously, that's the fight that's going to get made now. No, Tyrone Nurse is with, is, with, is is over on BT as well as, as Jack. As, as Jack, so that's going to be a fight that's going to be made. He's going to be at his best to beat. He might be good enough to beat Nurse, but Nurse is good enough to beat him also. So he needs to be sharp all the time, and that's the level he's at now. So it, it's nice to see a good performance, and I'm sure his next fight will be for the British title. 
Yeah, definitely a fight. I'd like 30, to see. Thirty-eight seconds. <laughs> Definitely a fight I'd like to see. Um, I'm going to leave the Liam and Liam clash till last on this bill. I want to talk about the yeah, Terry Flanagan, sure. uh, the Terry Flanagan fight uh, just before we get onto that. The last, the last. Well, it wasn't an undercard fight, but the last fight before we get onto the Liam versus Liam. Uh, yeah. Terry Flanagan moved to 33 and 0. Obviously, we know he's got the longest winning streak of any British boxer current at the moment. Uh, another defense of his WBO world lightweight title. I've got to be honest, I was watching it. He took on Peter Petrov, I should just mention. 38-4 and four with two draws going into this in his, 30, uh, his 45th career outing. Um, Peter Petrov was a good opponent. Um, I was watching it, but i got to be honest, some, sometimes watching the fight, I kind of zoned out a little bit. I think that, and I did say it on last week's podcast, I think that the way Flanagan won his world title against Zapida, it wasn't really how he wanted to win it. Then after that, he kind of came into the ring against Magdaleno. Very, he seemed to be a bit angry. He wanted to, he wanted to show people that he deserved that title, and he did a proper job on him. Real, real good performance. Since then, he's been a little bit lacklustre, and I think this was a fight where I, I don't want to be too harsh on him because I know Petrov has, has kind of got that that fighting style to make you look a little bit lacklustre. He did the job. He did really well. You know, he won pretty much every round in there for me. And, uh, you know, yeah. he gets another win, but I just he just didn't really capture... He didn't really ca- he didn't really catch light the fight at all during, during during the whole 12 rounds for me. For me, I think Petrov, it was always just a... a whether, whether it was... I don't think it was a mandatory. It was a strange choice of opponent because, again, unless you can blast him out of there, you're never going to look good against Petrov. Even if you beat him convincingly, which Terry did, you know, he beat him convincingly enough, and you're never going to look good against Petrov because he has the sort of style where he always fires back. He fights in combinations. He's awkward. He's tricky, and, he, and he's he's ruined that because he was he's boxed light welterweight as well as lightweight. So you know, he, and he's not a massive fella. So he knows how to hold his own. I was telling people if Terry's not his best, he's, he'll get beat. And I think I for me, I think Terry needs to move up in weight. I think he's too tight for the weight. Listen, I don't know personally if he makes the weight, but he looks too big for the weight for me for a start. And you're right; he needs to be angry. Like Terry's quite military in his work. I think he trains like a soldier. And he fights like a soldier. You stick to instructions, which is great if you're a trainer. But if you're watching from home, you sometimes want to see a guy use a little bit more of his, um, take a few risks or, or do this to, set, to sell himself to the car, like you're saying, to get a little bit same, every round same issue with Terry, isn't it? That's, that's the problem he has. I'm being critical of a guy because he's a world champion, but he's very effective what he's doing. Terry's a nightmare for anyone. Anyone at his weight right now, he gives everyone a fight. I'm not saying he beats Danny, he beats Mikey Garcia or even Jorge Linares. He gives him a fight. That's for sure. He really does. He's a hard man to beat because he's military in his approach. Military in the ring, he will just do what he's told and he'll stick to his plan and he'll hold his ground and he'll go down fighting. That's the way he is. But sometimes you want to go to sometimes change a little bit off his own accord. He'll go off plan a little bit. That little bit of specialness that that. That great fighters show, you know, they go off plan and take that little bit of risk. Terry won't do that. No, again, if you're a trainer, you love him for that, and that's what you want in your boxer. But sometimes for people watching at home or in the crowd, it doesn't inspire you to get on your feet and jump like a lunatic. And that's, but listen, that's what's made him 33 and 0. That's what's made him WBO lightweight champion in the world, and that's what's possibly going to make him an opponent for for Vasyl Lomachenko, which is uh, just a crazy thought, but. That was it. So it was. A, it was. A, listen, it was a good win, but it wasn't. The, it wasn't the opponent that he, he wasn't that sexy name that that we wanted, and it wasn't an opponent that was ever going to make him look good. 
Yeah, and I don't I, I don't want to talk too much on this, but um, I think now with Crawler losing his title, I know that you know it's it's kind of like the Battle of Manchester. I think that obviously we all know Crawler's got a bigger profile, but without the titles, I think it really makes this as close to fifty fifty that both parties will see. I think that. Eddie Hearn or, or Crawler and his camp, whatever, need to realise they're not champions anymore. Yeah, they do have the bigger profile. That only counts for so much. But the champion being Terry Flanagan, I'd love to see that fight happen. Not that I think it will happen, but I think that's a brilliant fight. I'd like yeah. to see that fight next. And I will say, I think Mikey Garcia is the man at lightweight at the moment. But I think that yes. if Linares was to take on Flanagan, especially over here, I think that... Um, in my honest opinion, I think that as long as he doesn't fight the way he fought Crawler the other week, because that was pretty much perfect, as long as he doesn't fight like that, I think Terry Flanagan's got a good chance. I'm, people may criticise me for that, but no, I honestly I do. do. I think he's got a good no. style. Linares is as skillful as they come. He's brilliant. But people made, they, people have made him out with the two Crawler fights. And that's where the, people have only ever seen him against Crawler, let's be honest. Most yeah. people have only ever seen him against Crawler. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Why would you go looking for... For Jorge Linares, but he was when he turned pro, he was kind of he was the star. Of, he was going to be the guy who took boxing forward. He was the one. Wow, Linares is special, and and he can be beat. He can be he's beatable. He's shown that in the past. He can be hurt. He should have yeah. hurt him as well in the first. You know, so so even, it, I don't think he's unbeatable. Sorry. Yeah, no, I was just going to say even even the Kevin Mitchell fight. I think that if that was Flanagan in there that night, that would have been. A, I think Flanagan would have beat him there. So uh, yeah, I, I, Styles make fights. I think, and, and the way the way Crawler fights, which is great and effective, but he, he fights a little bit in straight lines. But you know, but Crawler wins fights on. He's got, he's got skill, Crawler. Of course, you can't be a world champion and not have skill. But I mean, his will to win, Crawler, gets him over the line. His determination, his will to win, it's it, it's really up there with the best. That 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 little facet of his game, that's what gets him through. But also against against a, a stylist and a punch picker like Linares, it's also a, a bread and butter for him. You know, it's always going to be a hard fight for Linares because because Conor is so tough and is so game and is so committed. But also coming forward in straight lines a little bit will suit Linares onto the ground where Teddy's would frustrate the last bit more. Like you said, I think it was the footwork, the in and out, in and out with the footwork, not committing and not over-committing. You no, know, the would have to be on top of his game. He said, this is the fight, the last goes in favour, but yeah, you've got actually, te- I, this is, I, you make a good case for Terry to win. Yeah. The last would go in favour because he has the, the bigger resume and the better resume and, that, and, that's, and you've got to make the point that. So Terry is always going to be not, you know, he's never going to be on top of people's list on the lightweight division where Mikey Garcia and Hogan and Linares are wrong. That's the truth. Yeah, no, definitely, uh, definitely a fight again. Both of those fights, Crawler and Linares. I'd like to see Terry in and amongst that if he doesn't end up moving up to one forty. But definitely, uh, definitely good fights. Definitely a bright future for Terry. Yeah. Um, moving over now to the to, well, the so-called main event. I, I guess you could say Liam Williams, eighteen and zero with one draw, going into this fight. Liam Smith, twenty-four and one with uh, with the one draw as well. This one was for the vacant interim WBO World Super Worldweight title, which for me, I don't know, Barry, you might be able to tell me this, but it seems like this title's kind of come out of nowhere. I'm not sure if this, uh, I didn't know about it a few weeks ago. And it's, well, well the interim title has always been a thing. And it used to be a thing where when the champion was, was um, injured or unable to defend his title for a long period of time, then you would, you know, to keep the title busy and to keep the the, the the immediate challenges two and three busy, it would be an interim title fight. 
because you you still have the champion, and then you you would get a you would get a nominal belt, to, but you wouldn't get to keep the belt, and then and you wouldn't get be put in the record books as a champion. Obviously, you wouldn't go down in history as a champion. But then you get to fight the champion next when he, when he's able to to be. But also you defend that interim title, and if the champion somehow never fights again, then you become you're automatically elevated to 100% world champion. But now. It, the game's changed now, hasn't it? With all these titles, regular champion, super champion, and now Indian champions are now at a, at a regular scene as well. It's ridiculous. But that's the way the sport is. is. That's the way it is. I, you know, people are high to deal with this, and, and us, us guys on the earth just got to you know, wipe our chops and get on with it. But this, it, it didn't need a title, this fight. This is a no. British title fight. We're, we're two guys who, who, are, who are better than that level anyway. But this is what it is. This, so in the 80s, this is a British-European title fight, and that's exactly what it was for me. And it was a great fight on paper, and it turned out to be a, a very, very good fight as well on, on Saturday night. Yeah, I think that, um, obviously, Smith coming in overweight, that was, uh, well, a, a little bit unprofessional, in all honesty. Uh, I'm gonna, I just want you to do one sentence on that, Barry. What did you think about the weight, the weight situation with Smith? Obviously, we knew that the belt ended up only being on the line for Williams, but we're pretty much yeah. sure that it's really looking like Canelo will vacate, so they will end up being the, uh, you know, a, a world champion, a full world champion. So, oh. with that, with, with with that knowledge, you'd you'd have thought that Smith would have come on weight for that fight, surely. I don't think it was a preconceived idea that he wasn't going to come and wait. I just think he was. I think he, he made a mistake, and then I, I, I got. I don't know. This is just me guessing. Uh, my theory that I just think that a few days in, they thought we can make the weight. No, we, we, we're going to get down to a pound, so we'll try. But don't, don't go killing yourself to make the weight. No, it is what it is. Because to be honest, if he wins the fight, which he did anyway, he doesn't become in, interim champion. But if Miguel Cotto is the next fight to whoever won, whoever won. He'll get the cartel fight for the vacant title. It just won't be. A, it won't be a defence. So he still gets the cartel fight if the cartel fight's available. So he didn't lose anyway. Really, he just doesn't get to be an interim champion and then upgrade to a world champion. You know, sat at home. That's all that happens there. But you know, and, but, and it's not. This is not a dig at Liam Smith. This is boxing. There's too many boxers not making weight. Now, there's three things a boxer has to do, and these things. Are, these three things are very difficult things to do. But it's still, it's only three things they have to do: train. Make weight and fight. That's all you've got to worry about in your whole life, really, in your job. Three things. No, any other people have got a job. They've only got three things to worry about. Then that, and, you know, you're on easy street. But these are three hard things. Breaking weight's hard for every boxer. Training is, is, in, is in, incredibly hard. And, and fighting can be hard as well sometimes. If you don't do, if you don't do those two things properly, first of all, then the third thing is a very difficult thing to do. But listen, Liam Smith, it's the first time he's done this. So you've got to give him a little bit of leeway. No, he isn't. He isn't usually a, 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 a consummate professional in what he does, and 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 no, and he's a hard man to beat. I don't think he's technically the best fighter on the planet, but he gives everyone a hard fight, and he gives Liam Williams a, 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 a extremely hard fight. I think Saturday night. Yeah, obviously, you know, Williams, we hadn't really seen him past that British level. We uh, This was really, we, we were going to find out for the first time how good he was. Uh, Liam Smith, he's, he's kind of been on that world level. Didn't really fight anyone yeah. legitimate world level yeah. apart from Canelo, and obviously he come up short. But he did put in a good performance, I think some people forget. Um, yeah, Liam Williams. But he, put really... stub- he put in a stubborn performance. I think he did a summer against against Canelo. You know, it was it, it was admirable what he did. He stepped up, he stepped up leagues above what he'd ever been used to, 
and wasn't found wanting. You know, in in effort, he tried his best, and and nothing, and he didn't make anything easy for Canelo, but he did lose. Well, not every round on my card, as members went in the commentary, but I think you no, know, he lost. I think judges given two rounds of him, which was great, you know, in, in all in all. But well, when this fight was made, I, I said Liam. Everyone said it was a 50-50 fight, and I said no, it's not. Liam Smith goes in a favourite, not a, not a big favourite, but a favourite. He had to because his 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 wins have been slightly slightly better than than Williams's wins, not by much. But all I said was anyone on Williams' record, Smith would beat. But all the wins on Smith's record, Williams would also beat. That's the way you got. To, I, I looked at it. There was no one on anyone's record except for Canelo that none of these boxers couldn't beat each other. So it made, that's why it made it a very, very close fight. But it wasn't a close fight on the night. No, not for me. I think that um, no, you know, not Williams for me at all. started very, very well. Williams was was dominating. Uh, the cut that opened on 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 Smith, which was on his right eyebrow, which was in round three, that seemed to yep. that seemed to really wake him up and bother him. It seemed like he was just kind of cruising but losing during some of those early rounds. Um, it just made me think he may be saving something for the latter part of the fight, but he just wasn't able to work Williams out really. Williams, as well, and I've seen Williams before. He kind of before he's kind of been criticised a little bit for throwing the same sort of shots. I think he was mixing it up very well, very very cleverly uh, throughout throughout, especially the early rounds. Obviously, at the time of the stoppage in in round nine, at uh, the end of round nine, Liam Smith was coming on a little bit stronger. I don't think I could say that Williams was in any kind of trouble. I don't think he'd been hurt no. properly, but the tide was turning, even if it was just for a couple of rounds. At the time of the stoppage, Liam Smith was, was fighting a lot better than he was earlier on in the fight. Obviously, in the corner at the end of round nine, we've seen by some replays it looked like a uh, head went in. It didn't look intentional, but also some people are saying that... Um, that, that a punch had opened it up just a few seconds before the head came in from Smith, which which opened the cut on on Williams's eye. Obviously, um, you've probably seen some some decent camera angles, Barry. How did you see the cut? Open? Yeah. Well, I didn't actually. It couldn't. It was very out to see when the cut started. I, I I think there was a cut before Liam went in with the head, and I don't think he did it on purpose. But he but he flew in with the head. He, did, he really did. whether it was just trying to get low for a body shot. He flew in at the top of his at the top of his head. He just banged Williams in the face, and and Williams is physically hurt. You no, know, I've been headbutted. It hurts you know, more than a punch in many ways. So I mean, outside, not inside the thing. It's horrible being headbutted. So Williams was dazed. Whether it was the cut or on the chin, whatever it is, but it hurt him. So that's why he backed up because because he got headbutted. So you know, that should the referee. I don't want to criticise referees too much because it's a horribly hard job. It's a, it's a no no win situation when you're a referee, but. It was right in front of the referee. The referee should have said something about the head. The heads were going in all night, by the way, and Williams was just as much uh, 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 to blame for it as well because he was going in with his head. Not 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 aggressively, but they were touching heads where they were both leaning forward, and neither one of them cared. So they were lucky not to get cut early on in the fight because of the heads. I think Smith's cut was from a punch. but And I think Williams was cut, but that head went in, and it did look bad, and then the blood really started to flow. So... Whether it's caused another cut or, or, it, or rip, the, rip the eye further, then you know you would have thought that would have been a means to stop the fight or, or get him a warning at least. Because he flew him in the head. You, know, you can't, you whether you do it on purpose or accident, when you just go flying in head first, so obviously, and the referee's got to really pull him up. Whether he gives him a warning or, or public warning or, or disqualifies him or, or just says, listen, next time you get, you're out. He needs to be told, I think. And, and but he it, it got, it got listen. 
just do, he, he's just doing what he's doing. Smith, he's just trying to win a fight. And in a tough fight, you do whatever you do to win. And he won. And he did win. And I think Williams, for me, Williams had to stand his feet to win the fight. That's all he had to do. And he didn't look hurt to me. He looked hurt in that little, that little moment because he, because he was dazed by the headbutt. But I think, all in all, he was tiring. I think Gary Lockett was, was, was being too nice saying he was tiring. But, and that was to justify him, the stoppage. I think he, Gary felt guilty. He, he looked after his fight, but he felt a little bit, oh, you know, my, my kid was doing so well here. But I think, I think Williams would have got a second win. Even if he would have won the last three rounds, I, I think he would have still won by a point on Mike. Well, he wouldn't have. Actually, <laughs> that's on my card. But my card means shit. It was on the judges' cards. He was amazing. He only won round up, and I can't see for the life of me where where they got that fight so close. Now William Smith was coming on strong, and listen, Smith is a is a tough, tough man. He's as strong as anything. But you know, he did leave it too late to to push, and I think that was down to Williams throwing the double jab, the little feint with the feet, changing direction as Williams was, you know, and also Williams wasn't punching flat; he was punching on different angles. And that for that tight defence that the Gallagher gym um, to use, it's a flat defence. So you throw flat punches, you know, a straight left and a straight left hook or whatever. They can block all those shots. But you've got to punch at a different angle to punch through the guard, through the arms. And Williams was doing that to perfection. And listen, Smith made the game. Smith made it a hard fight. I mean, listen, Smith gave everyone a hard fight. I've said this before, but Williams was winning for me. He had to stay on his feet to win on my card. But and I think even Nick one of those wrongs. I don't think I don't think Smith was on the last. I don't think Smith was on the nine, ten, eleven, and the twelfth. You know, I don't think he would have won four rounds. Out of the last four, I think Williams would have had a push and got a little bit of a second win somewhere. But listen, on the judges' scorecard, that would have been enough. If, if Williams, if Smith would have won three of the last four rounds on the judges' scorecard, he would have won the fight anyway. And then there would have been worse controversy then because everyone everyone thought that Williams was winning. So, you know, it's a shame what happened, but you can't believe this. People are saying Liam Smith just jumped in with the head on purpose because he was panicking. I don't quite believe that. I think it was it was it, it was his fault. I think the cut was worse or caused because of that head, most certainly. And he should have been warned for the head, but whether it was intentional or not, only Smith can answer that. But you know, if he felt he was coming on strong, why would he do that in the first place? He didn't need to do that, and he genuinely believed that he was going to stop Liam Williams. I just for us guys, we couldn't see it. Only the boxers really know how they feel. Yeah, I, f- I think um, yeah, the, the scorecards were, were were real, real bad. Um, you know, I don't think Smith would have would have gone on to stop him, to be honest. But yeah, it's, it's a real um, horrible conclusion, really, to to what was a real good fight for for many parts of, of the fight. You know, so. Uh, but the, yeah, the hard part is now. The hard part is now. Is the re- everyone wants a rematch? Needs to happen. But why do you think Smith want a rematch? No. no. If there's a chance, if there's a chance that he can fight for the Zayden World Title now, that he can make weight. If you no, know, they said that was a runoff, and there's a Cotto fight looming. Why does he want to fight Liam Williams when he can fight Miguel Cotto for more money? Whatever they are offering for Williams, he can always fight the Cotto fight. He might not want to fight. You know, and, yeah. you know, and listen, he might want it because I know, you know, just out of personal pride, he might want it. I know, and he said they got two tough kids there. I mean, tough, and they're tough inside and outside of the ring. I think they're both tough kids. They, would, they want to fight each other again. And Williams obviously won it because he thinks he was winning, and, and like we all did, and, and, and he thinks he, he can beat Smith. And Smith might want to show the world, certainly Britain, that he can beat this kid. But what it did show is there wasn't a there wasn't a class in golf. There wasn't a golfing class. Buddy. There's no any of that. And I think Williams, in many ways, come of age. 
on Saturday night and showed us all. And any doubt is that listen, he's good enough to compete at the level that well, Liam Smith is competing at. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. And just to wrap that flat up there, the uh, the the yeah. interim WBO titles obviously it remains vacant. It wasn't on the line for Smith, as we said. So Liam Williams now sixteen and one. His first loss, which was very very harsh. Uh, he's obviously also got the one draw. Liam Smith now twenty five wins, one loss, and one draw. But uh, we definitely do need to see it again. Last question on that one, Barry. You got twenty seconds. Um, yeah, but. Gary Lockett stopping the fight. Should he have got the doctor? Um, you know, was that a bit of a mistake from him? And also, was the stoppage influenced by anything to do with Nick Blackwell? I, I, I don't know. I, I wouldn't comment on that because I don't know. But Gary Lockett is a is a, a guy who cares for his fighters. I've known that. I've known Gary since he was a kid. So I know that much for sure. I think he panicked a bit, to be honest. Which is in it. When his things arrive, it happens. He panicked a little bit. I think if he would have took stock, then he probably would have got the, the doctor to have a look and got the referee involved. But listen, the referee might have said it was a punch. And, and then, and then he, you either pull him out or you don't. You know, if it's a punch, then you pull him, and then you, you pull him out, or the, or the doctor pulls him out. Then, then if it's a punch, then you lose the fight. You know? so, but he should have got the doctor. Yeah, in hindsight, it was an all, with all geniuses in hindsight, he should have got the doctor. I think he panicked a little bit. But you know, he was worried about the fighter's eyes. A deep cut between my eye, eyelid as well, not on the eye. Not on the eyebrow, on the eyelid, and it was deep. You'll see his eyeball if it gets any deeper. So he's thinking about the kid's career, the rest of his career. He's not thinking about the one fight guy, which is sensible. But I think he probably could have got, maybe with a bit of push, he might have had a chance that he could have got the doctor. It could have gone to a point, which would have obviously given Liam Williams the win. But listen, only Gary Lockett, who would be a great guest, only he could answer all these questions for you. We don't know how he felt. He might have said, he might have known what was going on, but God, listen, his eye was too bad, I didn't give a shit about anything but the kid's safety and that might have been obviously because of what happened to Nick Blackwell it's funny this game see Joe because you think about your own job and your people but also with social media and everything else you're aware of the criticism of other people and that's always in your mind in all parts of the job the trainers the managers the referees the judges the commentators the promoters we all know what you say about us what people say about us good and bad so you can't help but to have that in the back of your mind when you're doing your job, which you shouldn't be, but you have. You have that in your mind. So and maybe that these things have influenced Gary Lockett. I don't know, but listen, you've got to make a split you've got to make a judgment in, in seconds. And that's what he did. And that was his choice. And listen, uh, Liam Williams will, will live to fight another day and that's a good thing. Yeah, and like I say, uh, last words on this, um obviously <laughs> Smith Smith was pretty um he, he he was pretty you know he started the, the 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 interview after the fight a little bit little bit brash a little bit you know I was going to stop him so and so but he did go on to say look I made a mistake with a weight I will give him a rematch we hope he's a man of his word because it definitely we do need to see it especially uh, you know for Williams's sake because it was a it was a bad ending for him right that's it for the Manchester Bill moving over now to York Hall one fight to mention on this one uh, Ben Jones former WBO European yeah. champion. He was fighting for the vacant Commonwealth featherweight title against Jason Cunningham. And I said on last week's show this was going to be a good fight. I think Jason Cunningham is a little bit underrated, obviously. The uh, 
you know, he's got three losses on his record, 21 and three going into this. And he he lost both of, the, both of his fights. can't remember who to now, but he lost both of those fights very, very, very close. They were very, very close. I think one might have been a split. Another one was just by about a round or so. And then he got outclassed by Cal Yafai, which is no disgrace. Ben Jones was upset yeah. here. It was a split decision win in favor of Jason Cunningham. So his record now 22 and three. Ben Jones back to the drawing board, 22 and six with one draw. Commiserations for Ben Jones. He's he's been on the show once before. Nice guy. We wish him all the best moving forward. But I didn't see that fight, so I can't really say too much. Another fight that happened over in the venue in Dudley, West Midlands. Um, Andrew Robinson. He's been on Box Nation a couple of times, actually. Actually, Barry. Obviously, yeah. he's a bit of a warrior. He obviously had a good fight with Frank Bullione. He had a good fight with the kid who's. It's just slipped my mind. He was on the. I think it was a Brentwood. Show. Lee Mark. Lee Markham. Lee Markham. That's it. Banjo Markham. Yeah, Great it was a good there, fight. Yeah. And uh, he took on Super Journeyman, and I believe some sort of relation to you, Barry. Adam Jones. Obviously, Adam <laughs> Jones. I don't know if you've seen him fight. Have you seen this guy fight? <laughs> Why would he be a relation to me? Because he's, he's got the same Jones. surname. Do you, know, <laughs> do you know what? I'm more of a relation to the Yafis that I am than the Adam Jones. <laughs> no, but have you seen this kid, Adam Jones, fight? I, I, I probably have, but on top of my head, I can't like, right now. On the right. spot, I can't really think. He's, 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 he's a journeyman. He's 6-20 and 20 with four draws going into the fight, but he, he's never been stopped. He is tough as hell, honestly. He's, uh, he just doesn't stop coming forward. And I said last week that this could be a bit of a, you know, a bit of a banana skin, really, for Andrew Robinson. And it ended up being a draw on points after six rounds. So, uh, off the top of my head, I'd imagine that the six rounds probably didn't do Andrew Robinson a favour. But this guy, this guy, Adam Jones, he just, he, he seems to fight every other week. And like I say, he, he just, he walks through people's punches. He's fought a few prospects, but he, he can be a right nightmare. And also on this bill, another right nightmare of a journeyman, William Warburton. Obviously, we've seen him up. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's, 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 he's horrible. I don't know, I don't even know why any prospect wants to fight him. Obviously, I remember he was at the fight. He beat that, uh, what happened to that kid, actually? The guy who, he was signed with Frank Warren. Uh, oh, gosh. George, Georgie Keane. What happened to him, Barry? Oh, George, you know what? I haven't got a clue. I am got a clue. Yeah, it's a shame that he was a really good ticket seller. Yeah. And and, and not a bad fight. He changed a few trainers. He, he went, he he went to with, two different trainers. He was with Adam Booth for a little while, wasn't he, I think? Adam Booth for a little while, yeah. He sort of went back and forth. But, yeah, I don't know what really happened to him in the end. Yeah, it was a funny, uh, funny thing. That's what happened with the boxing. Kids just, they just die off all of a sudden. You know, they just disappear. And you don't see him for, for years. It's a, it's, a, it's a strange thing. But William Warburton is a, a nightmare for anyone. Yeah, he, he is. really is. But yeah, uh, um, you know, he's one of those kids. You just you you, you like you said. You probably, Lewis Reese was another kid, and if he did a Welsh kid, really good kid. Box Nation were really pushing this Lewis Reese. Didn't train Lewis Reese really like he should. But one with the beat him, and then Reese was hit with Reese. He walked away from the game. Yeah. But if I can't beat William Warburton, then I'm not I'm not good enough to fight anyone. And that was it. He packed it in. Yeah, William Warburton. He's definitely a banana skin. But uh, his opponent, <laughs> Tyler Denny, four and zero with two draws, got a win over him. So he's now five and zero with two draws. That was a six-round points win at middleweight. That one. Um, that's it for West Midlands. Moving over now to. I'm going to start with a card, actually, that, that took place on Sunday. Then we're going to move on to the Lomachenko bill. This one was at the Novo in L.A., Los Angeles, California. Uh, two fights to mention on this bill, I think. Uh, yeah. 
Alejandro Luna moved to 22-0 with a win over Andre Klimov. Andre Klimov now 19-4. Klimov was cut on the left eye from an accidental headbutt in round four, but nonetheless it went the full 10 rounds. A unanimous decision win there for Luna. Uh, Josecito Lopez picked up win number 35. Obviously, he's, he's also carrying the seven losses. He picked up a win over Saul Coral, who had a record of 23 and 8, now 23 and 9. Coral was down in round 10. It was only scheduled for 10. Uh, Coral was also cut on the right eye in round 3. Lopez was cut on the lower lip from an accidental headbutt as well during that fight. So. Decent win there for Josecito Lopez. That one was on the Sunday just gone. And now the final bill to mention. A few fights to mention on this card. Over in the MGM National Harbor in Maryland, USA. Starting down the undercard, Jesse Hart. He picked up his 22nd career win. TKO in round 5 over Alan Camper. Alan Camper now 16-3. and three. And Jesse Hart picked up the vacant WBA, NABA super middleweight title. He also... Defended successfully his USBA super middleweight title, so a good win there for Jesse Hart. Mike, yes indeed, Reed, friend of the show, he moved to 22-0 and with a unanimous decision win over 10 rounds at welterweight, that one, over Reyes Sanchez, who's now got a record of 26-10 and with two draws. Alexander Gavodstik moved to 13-0 and with a TKO in round three, picking up the vacant WBO, NABO, light heavyweight title and also defending the NABF light heavyweight title his opponent Unieski Gonzalez was down in round 3 I think that's how you say his name his record now 18 and 3 um Gonzalez is he's a, he's a pretty tough pretty tough guy Barry but Gavodstik obviously too much for him yeah well the thing with he's correct he's neat with his punching he punches inside his body frame so he turns on the waist doesn't punch wide, so Gonzalez swings punches in and he's awkward. But if you meet and you can punch like a Vodka, then he's never going to beat you. And that's and it's a clinical performance. But Gonzalez, we've seen him in Pascal and Box Station. He was he was unlucky against John Pascal Gonzalez. So he's a tough guy to beat. So it's a good win there for for the Ukrainian um, bronze medalist in the 2012 Olympics in London. And you know, he's pretty much there thereabouts, knocking on the world title fight. Yeah, for sure. So a good win for him. He moves to 13-0. and Also on the bill, Alexander Usyk, 11-0, and putting his WBO World Cruiserweight title on the line against a guest from last week's show, Michael Hunter. Um, Hunter was, was, was given a, a count in round 12 as well in this one. I can't actually believe that he wasn't stopped. I don't know. Did you, <laughs> did you manage to watch this fight, Barry? You see it? Yeah, yeah, we. I, I drove down from Manchester to London. I worked the show. Oh for yeah, of course you did. Yeah, yeah, you was. You yeah, was yeah, yeah. I, I was wondering if you were going to be there because I didn't think. How did you do I that? As soon as the last bell went, you must have got in the car. Do you know why? Do you know what? I got a family to feed. I'll, listen, I I would sweep the floors and make the tea if they paid me the same money. Don't worry about that. We're going to make a living, Joe. You know, so we're all going to make a living, mate. So yeah, so I, I went down. I want listen. Any anything to do with uh with this with this bill? I had to get and watch this bill live, so I didn't want to be watching it the next day. Let's wind back one sec, Barry. How on earth did you get down to the studio that quickly? Didn't the bill finish about 11, 12 something in, oh, uh, I left, in Manchester? I left, I left, I left, I left, I left a little bit before it finished. So I left, oh. uh, I watched the Flanagan fight, I've got to be honest, I watched the Flanagan fight um, on tape later on okay. the next day right. on, on, on at home, yeah, which is a little bit embarrassing because I like, feel bad on CF for Terry because he's a fantastic fella but yeah but I had to work so I had to judge which fight I had to lose out and it was the final fight that I missed but yeah it was um, 
It was on a little bit later uh, than expected anyway, I think, the Flanagan fight. But, yeah, go on. Yeah, it was pushed on a bit, didn't it? Yeah, which, yeah. but it, Hunter was a revelation. I think it was brilliant. He lost. And he lost. You know, there was not only one winner. But the, in the first half of the fight, you thought, <laughs> he's going to... Like, Usyk was really just offering him, offering him a tag at the hip. I think he just thought he was going to walk this, walk this Hunter down. The Hunter reminded me of Dennis Andre. And it's not exactly the same style, but... Everything was wrong, what he did, but it worked. It was, his balance was terrible, but he was always on balance. It just it doesn't make any sense. His feet, his feet were wrong, but, he, but he'd never fall over. You know, he'd throw his punches to be off balance, he'd come back with another shot, and everything that Hunter did just didn't seem fluent. But it was just, it was so effective for him, and I think Uzzuk looked strong and just tried to walk and down, nothing bothered him, but he wasn't the slick as I thought he would be. Alexander was like the champion. You know, I think he, I think I didn't struggle. I think he always he always knew he was going to win the fight. I think he had another gear to go, to be honest. But you're right about the referee. That fight should have been stuck. The referee wanted his, wanted the the American to see the final bell, and and we all did. But not 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 to risk his health for that. He took an absolute hammering in the last round, and the referee should have stopped the fight. And that, and 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 Uzuk should have got the should have got the, the TKO for sure. Yeah, I, I agreed. I was I was a little bit worried. I got to be honest. I actually had a bet on this fight to go the distance, so I actually wanted it to go to the distance. But I was I was on my feet. I was worried. I thought it was going to get stopped. Um, again, he deserved to see the final bell. He seemed to. His head was very clear, though. Even though when he was given the count, he he actually kind of turned to his corner. He looked a bit annoyed with himself, and you could clearly see him mouth the words. He just said "fuck." You know, like he was he was annoyed. So uh, he um no, but but I, I actually I had it closer than than the judges did. I actually gave Hunter the first four rounds. I thought he, I know people might really disagree, but I thought he was brilliant in, no, those, in the first few I, rounds. Yeah, I, I think given two of the first four for me though, he, he was brilliant, but it was always a sense that Uzik was lending win. Do, do, do you know what I mean? That's what it felt like to me. Like he was, he felt like Uzik felt like he could do more. That's what it looked like to me all the time. But listen, it doesn't matter whether he could do more. He wasn't doing enough. I think Hunter, the last four rounds, I think I had the three run up, I think. I think if I can remember rightly, the top of my head. Yeah. And so, you know, it was a great start for him. But then, yeah, but then who was the pressure and obviously his better technique and, you know, and his pedigrees just started to show through where Hunter was a little bit wild and, and unorthodox. You know, that works, especially in the early rounds. That always works until someone gets a good the grips of you and I think that's what Uzo's got a great engine everything's fluent he doesn't load up with any punches he just lets everything flow which means he can throw a lot of punches and he can throw a lot of punches in the later rounds in those championship rounds when everyone's getting tired he's still got, got everything fluent he doesn't tense up with nothing he does he doesn't waste any unwanted energy and that's why he's, he looks like he's um, as fit in the 12th as he is in the 1st yeah, he's very. He's got a great engine. Um, but no, I think Hunter did himself did himself proud. I think he announces himself on on that kind of level now. I think he could give you know many of the other top contenders nightmares actually. Um, oh but yeah, no, it was the good. champions I, nightmares. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, no, I was impressed with him, and also as I say, he was on last week's show, so there was that bit of love there. But no, it was definitely um, yeah a, a brilliant performance. And anybody that didn't listen to last week's show should should give that little interview a listen because it was interesting. He wasn't just talking about the fight he was talking about many other things obviously um, many people know that his father went through a, 
a bit of a crazy demise when he retired from boxing. So it's definitely worth a listen, that one. So yeah, Alexander Usyk picks up another another win. He's now 12-0. Michael Hunter, 12-1. Moving over now to the main event. Vasil Lomachenko, 7-1. Took on Jason Sosa, 20-1 with four draws. Jason Sosa obviously vacated his WBA World Super Featherweight title before the fight. I'm not quite sure why. Uh, but yeah, it wasn't on the line. Lomachenko's WBO was on the line. It was a one-sided fight for most of it, to be honest, Barry. But for me, I think that Jason Sosa, I've never quite seen him be that elusive. I think he was, I know he shipped a lot of punches as well. And that's why, you know, in the end, he ended up getting pulled out by his father. But for me, I've never seen Lomachenko miss so much. In some parts, he looked a little bit desperate, Lomachenko, as well. But but I think that Jason Sosa was pretty good on the defence. I think he was. I've seen. I've I've never seen him really move laterally that that good in any of his fights. I think he didn't. It wasn't like an embarrassing one-sided beatdown for me. No, well, I think Sosa realised straight away that you know defence is going to be the key against Lomachenko. I don't know. I think he knows Lomachenko's a, a puzzle to hit. He's really elusive. He's the most one of the most elusive fighters around. It's not the most elusive fighter around today, and. So, you know, you're going to have to make him work, make him work. But I don't think that there was any urgency or worry or, or and anything with Lomachenko. He's still, he's still brilliant to me, Lomachenko. I think Sosa's underrated fight. I think he's really good. I, I saw him when he won the title against Fortuna in China. And, he, you know, again, he showed, he showed a few defensive skills there, but he'd sit really low and, and roll under punches against a big puncher. And then and then and then he turned out to be the big puncher in in that fight. But I no, it's it, Lomachenko's just superb. He really is. I I'm going for hours, so I'll just be really short and sweet. He it's like he puts his opponents on pause with the work. That's what it's like. He just slows his opponent down. He makes him look so most I haven't seen a fighter like him. I'm saying he's the best fighter never lived. But I haven't seen a fighter quite like him the way he fights. It, it, it's just crazy. And it, and also in only his what was that his ninth fight? Let's 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 take stock at his ninth fight. I I think I, I don't know why I boxed in my ninth fight. I think I boxed Peter Puckley or something. I had my ninth fight. You know he's he's boxing world champ world level fighters. You know he's beaten world champions who've gone on to win world titles after he's beaten. They've been good fighters, former world champions, current. You know he's beat the best fighter in his weight with him or one of the best, Nicholas Walters, and made him quit. Now they're now they're beating him up or they're frustrating him. You know, it, it's, the guy's superb. And he and he and he's, he's he's good in any era of boxing. Yeah, he and is. Uh, he's I'm not going to start saying he beats he beats uh, all time greats and all that because he, he might be an all time great himself, but he's he's competitive and maybe the best in any era, but certainly competitive in any era, any in, in from featherweight to super featherweight, them two weights, he's the best. The, the only thing that will beat him is going too going too far up in the weights. That's the only thing that's going to be. He's going to be the guy who's too big. That's all that's going to be him. Yeah, I agree completely. I think he's uh, he's a phenomenon, as I say. He's uh, definitely a one-off. His footwork is incredible. He's got sort of his own style. It's very, very effective. But uh, Jason Sosa, you know, he, he's he's, a, he's as tough as now. I don't think he was going to be stopped. I think his father pulling him out was probably the right thing because it was only going yeah. one way. But I don't think he would have actually been able to get him out of there because he, he's a tough kid, Jason Sosa, people forget. But, um, yeah, no, a, a good win there for Vassal Lomachenko. And... Um, 
yeah, another defense of his WBO World Super Featherweight title. His record now eight and one. Jason Sosa twenty and two with four draws. The thing what scares me about Lomachenko and, and the last real piece of, of, of talk on on this fight from me um, when he when he throws shots when he's got his men on the ropes. I, I didn't realize really. I've never sort of I've, I've watched these fights, but I really studied this one. And have you seen the thing he does, Barry? Where he kind of he kind of uses one glove to to push your guard down, yeah, and then he throws it. a shot over the top. That's that's horrible. That's the, that's I bad. I've seen it on social media somewhere, Facebook or something like that, where they someone throws it down. How he does it? It's like he literally parries you with one hand. It's not. It's technically not allowed, to be honest. But he parries you with one hand. He does it so fast and through, and he gets away with it. He parries you with it, hits you with the other one, moves your hands over the way. Listen, yeah. the things he does. Like I said, it's like he slows everything down. And some are called in the Matrix. You know, they, I put, I put, a, I put a, something on Twitter the other day saying, I think I was up the tools to beat Lomachenko, and then it was a picture of all 25 machine guns. <laughs> yes, and someone right. said, it probably still wouldn't be enough. And, they, and, you know, I wouldn't make them wrong either. He's that good. He's that good. Listen, he's the sort of fighter you, you don't need to talk about. Just say, you just say, oh, Lomachenko. And Lomachenko means so much. And what it means is excellence. Yeah, definitely a, a, a great win for him, and it's, it's always a pleasure to see him fight. He truly is one of the best pound-for-pound pound fighters in world boxing. But that's really it for part one. We've done all the talking about last week's fights. It's now time for our first guest. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the current British middleweight champion, Mr. Tommy Langford. Tommy, welcome to the show. Hi, mate. You all right? Yes, my man. It's been it's been a long time. Obviously, uh, we last spoke to you just over a year ago. It's been it's been a long time. We spoke to you the week after the Lewis Taylor fight. Uh, you've obviously fought twice since then, and and you've kept your unbeaten record intact, eighteen and zero. Now, I remember back then when we last spoke, we were talking about the Billy Joe fight and and the potential of that happening, which I'm surprised really by now it hasn't happened. In all honesty, as a voluntary, but obviously Billy's been he's had a few injuries and what have you since. How have things been in that, in that meantime? But you know, between those two fights since we haven't spoke, Tommy. Obviously, there've been uh, you know I've had. It's been quite, even though it's only been two fights, there's been a lot that's gone on um, with me. Obviously, I was made mandatory to Eubank. I had to deal with all the rigmarole of the Eubanks. And, and then they obviously they ended up pulling out and dates got moved and all that sort of thing went on and everything. So, you know, it's been an up and down sort of 12 months, really, despite having obviously two fights and two, two good wins and winning the British title as well. But um, and in terms with, with in terms of the Billy Joe and the WBO situation before, I'm surprised it never got off, it never got offered up. Um, it's not on my side because I've said I wanted the fight. Um, you know, I spoke to Frank and said I wanted it and everything, and you know I wanted I wanted Billy Joe, and I thought it was a would be a straightforward fight to make because we were both with him, and obviously he needed a voluntary last year, but it. it it never happened, you know. So obviously it's on Billy Joe's side why that didn't happen. So, but I find I found myself here with because um, it's a to deal with, and you know it's a huge opportunity for me. 
Yeah, absolutely, it really is. I just want to uh, rewind just a sec there. Talking about Chris Eubank Jr., obviously he vacated the British title when the board offered the fight, or ordered the fight, I should say. Uh, the reason behind that was an apparent injury rather than a duck, so to speak. Your promoter, yeah. Frank Warren, yeah. stated that he had some doubts over the legitimacy of the injury and instead brought up a sparring session in which you apparently got the better of Eubank Jr. I know you're, you know, you're a humble guy, you're not one to gloat, but could you shed any light on that whatsoever? Oh, I, I I went down and sparred him. It, well, how long ago was it before that? Uh, it was probably 12, 12 to eighteen months, twelve months at least before that even came into a, a you know, in that that fight even got talked about really. And then, you know, I did do a very good job in sparring. You know, and I've always said it about Eubank. If you stand in front of him and mix it with him, he's very good. He's a good fighter, dangerous. But if you can box and move. He can't deal with you, and really, really, that's that's all I did in the spa. I just boxed, I just just out boxed him, and um, I didn't know this at the time, but it, it's come to like six. But apparently, uh, Ronnie Davis phoned the office after I'd been down sparring him and said, uh, you know, no matter what, we don't want anything to do with that Tommy Langford because that was when Eubank was still with Frank Warren. So when the fight got made between me and him. Um, you know, I had doubts initially that they were even going to take the fight anyway. I thought they'd, they'd say they're moving on and all this sort of thing because, you know, when you're looking at it on paper, I'm, I'm a massive, massive, massive risk to it, to him and to their earning potential and and all that sort of thing. So I half expected it. You know, I don't believe that I'm anybody's, any, anybody who wants to fight me. I'm, I'm hard work for anybody, do you know what I mean? Anybody in the world. So I didn't believe they'd, they'd want to take the risk, but... Um, then they signed and they agreed, you know, Frank won the purse bids and they agreed to that. They signed to that. And then, uh, yeah, said so they had tennis elbow. But, like, I mean, the seriousness of the injury is a bit of a joke, really. I mean, if you're, genu- if you're genuinely injured and you've genuinely got desires of defending and owning the British belt outright, then the, f- the injury would be confirmed by a doctor and the fight would be postponed to a later date. They never did that. As soon as they started, as soon as it started talking about investigatory things with doctors and all, they vacated the belt. So that makes you think that he wasn't really injured. Do you know what I mean? It was an it was it was a, an excuse to swerve the fight. And whether they'd used that time in the background to negotiate other things with ITV or to talk about other opponents behind the back of me and on, on all that sort of thing is another thing, but, you know, you never really know what they're doing anyway, them Eubanks, so it's just, you know, unfortunately I got caught up in the whole thing and it was a real pain and it was a real annoyance, but um, it's in it's in the, in the rear view mirror now and, you know, got big, big things to look forward to. Yeah, absolutely, and that is true. Now, you became British champion in your last fight, obviously. This upcoming fight, which we'll talk about in just a moment, um, it's obviously a fight past British level. Do you have desire to try and win the British outright? Obviously, that'll mean another three fights down at British level, so to speak, from the level of this next fight, or does it depend solely on the outcome of this upcoming fight? I've always, I've always said that I, you know, owning the British, the Lonsdale belt outright is a fantastic achievement. And it's one that yes, every fighter would love to do. And I would love to do it. But what I will say is, 
you can get caught up defending the British title. It can hold, in terms of progressing in your career and moving on to world level, it can hold you back and it can potentially ruin your chances of, you know, you might be at your physical peak or you might be at your best and you you, you don't take the world shots but because you, you, you want to defend the British. So I've always been of the opinion that, that if bigger opportunities come along, I will take them and I will move on and you know which is what I'm doing really and obviously the outcome of this fight does have a uh, a say on the the British title because you know all being well and I do what I do and I, I do what I believe I can do and I win the fight then you you class the British boxing board class you as above British level and sort of take the belt off you anyway and it's made vacant um if I don't win and I lose, obviously I'm still British champion, but depending on the nature, you know, I don't want to really think about that because I'm not thinking about losing, but I will still be British champion, and so I've got the option, and whether I want to defend it or whether I want to, whether I want to move on, and I always have said, you get to world level, I want to stay at world level, I want to keep fighting at that level, because that's where, obviously, the money is made, but also, you make a name for yourself, and I don't want to, I don't really want to, be fighting the, 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 the heights of my career be domestic level fights aren't world level fights so you know I, I suppose you can say that I'm not really looking to keep the belt like forever or you know I, I'm, I'm just looking for opportunities and I'll just take opportunities as, as and when they come yeah well said there and you're taking on Avton Dilkert Sidzi, I hope I'm saying that right, on the 22nd of April at the Leicester Arena. Just to clear this, this situation up to the listeners, Kurt Sidzi is the WBO number one ranked middleweight. Um, yep. Number two is the 2012 Olympic gold medalist, Ryota Murata. Uh, Tommy Langford is obviously number three, the champion obviously being Billy Joe Saunders. The number two ranked guy which was Morata, he's decided to go down the WBA route and fight Hassan and Dam for yeah. the vacant WBA regular belt, which Danny Jacobs had to give up when facing Golovkin for the WBA super yeah. belt. So in theory, once Morata steps in that ring with Hassan and Dam, he loses his ranking with the WBO, which means this fight really is, is you know, your fight is really number one against number two, and the winner will become the mandatory yeah. for Billy Joe. So as I say there, Tommy, you, you fight in just a few days' time now, what do you know about your opponent? I've watched footage of him um, from what I've found of him. He's not, there's not a lot on him, but um, he's very, you know, he's got a reputation of being very strong. Um, on, you know, he isn't big, he isn't tall, he's short for a middleweight, but he's got a lot of physical strength. He's very relentless in his pressure. Um, and, and I'd say that's like the danger side of him is, is his relentlessness. If he gets in and you don't, you know, if he gets in on you, he doesn't leave you alone. Um, that being said, I don't believe he's a he, he's a great boxer. He's not a better boxer than me, technically. So it's a question of really how strong is he? And you know, I've got to stick to my plan. I've got to keep him off, and I've got to you know outbox him and outmaneuver him, and uh, you know win the fight that way. I mean, he's not. It's hard. To, it's very hard to judge his. Uh, how good he really is because he's highly avoided by the top operators you know he was Billy Joe's mandatory um, Billy Joe I mean we don't really know where his chips are what he's doing but um, he obviously didn't want to defend do the mandatory against Abtan Dill he's gone looking for a unification with Golovkin or whatever whether that comes into play or not is a different situation but 
Sid to, to say is, you know, he's he's very avoided, but and the ones he's fought, he has dealt with very well. But then it's, it's hard to say how really good he is because the ones he fought, they've not all been of great level. And the only one who's been at world level before, albeit lost, who he's boxed is Hassan and Dam, and Hassan and Dam outpointed him. So, you know, if it's a case of, you know, I've got to prove how good I am. I know how good I, what I believe I can do, and but I've got to prove how good I am in that ring on the night, and you know, do a job on him, and then I secure myself on that level. Yeah, you sure do. It is a good fight. It's, I'm hoping that it gets the uh, the media attention from everybody else that it deserves because it's a real risky fight for the pair of you, to be honest. Um, as yeah. you as you said there, he's not very tall. That is a striking thing. You're six foot. He's only five foot four, or he's only listed at five foot four. So that is a uh, is a, a big difference in terms of height. Kurt Sidzi, in all honesty, as you said, he's he's mixed it at the higher level. Um, only for a couple of fights, as you say, took on the likes of Endam and, and what have you. Um, he's had exactly twice as many fights as you also. How much do you see this fight as a test? To You know, it's, it's obviously a risk. How, how much do you see it as a test as well? It's 100% a challenge. It's a, you know, it's a, it's a big step up from what I've thought before. It is a test. Um, you know, I mean, but ultimately you can't, set your sights on the top of the tree and the champions and then when you get a big fight you know not want it so or when you get one of the one of the names at the top of the at the top of the um pedestal like not not take it so i'm just doing what i've always done and taking the fights that's been offered and test the what you know what make what make you or break you aren't they you know if you come through them and you pass it with flying colors then you're the champions you know what i mean if you don't, then you lose. You know what? What are you going to do? You you, re, you rebuild and you go again. And Tommy, I want to ask you um, if you've got any names uh, you can throw them out. Have you been sparring anybody in 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 this camp that uh, that we, we we might know done, at all? I've done a good few rounds with Martin Murray. Um, I know he's not the physical build of Kurtzidze, uh, but he's very known as being a very strong middleweight himself, and obviously for super middleweight as well. But you know, so I've done some good rounds with uh, with Murray, and the tricky thing has been finding people the right sort of size. But the best rounds I've had in sparring, the best experience of sparring I've had in this campus, been with Martin Murray. That's been great for me. Yeah, good to hear. Um, the end game, obviously, as we as we alluded to a little bit earlier, is is the shot at Billy Joe. What is your relationship like with Billy Joe, if you've got one, Tommy? I've always gone with Billy Joe. I've known him for quite a long time, for a long time, really, throughout the, throughout the amateurs. So I've never got had a, not a bad word to say about him, really. I think he's a very, you know, on his day, he's a great, great boxer. He's slick, hard to, you know, he's very hard to pin down, very hard to beat. But um, but also, I'm in the game to be the champion, and you know, you, I want the fight. Um, and I've I've always, I've not been shy about saying I want to fight him. Um, it's just it's just one of those things, isn't it? It's business, isn't it? You know. But um, my relationship with him is pretty good, really. I mean, I'm, we're not best pals or anything like that. But I've always got on with him, you know, when I've seen him. So yeah, no, no hard feelings to him at all. And if he does go for the unification in the meantime, if Saunders were to take on Golovkin, um, who do you see winning that fight if that happens? Well, I see Golovkin winning. I think the the very best Billy Joe, which we haven't seen for quite a long time because, you know, even, you know, 
when he his last fight wasn't a good performance, and he was the first one to say that. And he had 12 months before, so we've not seen the best Billy Joe for a long time. But like the the fittest and best Billy Joe can cause Golovkin a lot of problems with his foot movement. But it's just a case of whether he can keep that up four to 12 rounds and not get caught up with. I think he poses a lot of problems to Golovkin. But that being said, I just don't think I don't think it's enough really, and I think. Glovkin would find a way, but you never really know how what the age is saying with Glovkin now. You know that last performance against Jacobs, I think they neglected um, neglected his his real boxing ability. The Glovkin team and looked to try and he he was trying just to land big punches, you know, big shots, and obviously he hurt Jacobs. But he, what he neglected was his um, was his boxing ability to got, get him into the positions to land the, the hurtful punches, whether he'll make. I don't know if I'll make that mistake again, really. Yeah, but I agree with with everything you said there, to be completely honest. It does depend on which Saunders turns up in that fight. Last two questions now for you, Tommy. Um, a big question, uh, a big, not a big question, a big fight coming up in the end of this month. Obviously, we've we've all been looking forward to it. It's a, it's a real test in the heavyweight division for, for, for the Brit, Anthony Joshua against Vladimir Klitschko. Have you got any kind of opinion on that fight? Yeah, I think uh, I think put it this way: if Joshua can't be a you know a forty odd year old Klitschko at this stage in his career, once he's already been beat by Tyson Fury, is Joshua the real deal? What we're all saying, you know, I be, that sounds harsh. I believe he is good, very good, Joshua, and I, I think he's going to be too young, too fresh, too fast um, for Klitschko. I think Klitschko doesn't do anything different to what he's done before because he it resort he revert revert back to the same thing that he's done and and I just don't think that's fast enough, sharp enough, or enough to beat Joshua. Um, and obviously he's already been shown that he can be beat by Tyson Fury. So you know I, I think um, and everyone kind of, is kind of forgetting that that he's already been beat by Fury. But uh, I don't foresee. Joshua having too much trouble. I think if we do see a different Klitschko and he comes flying out of traps and tries to do something different, and I think Joshua will knock him out. But uh, if we, I think we see the same old Klitschko and he everything behind a jab, doesn't throw the right hand, doesn't gamble, and um, Joshua will win on points. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. I haven't really seen many people say he's got a chance on points, but no, it will be definitely a good fight, definitely one I've been looking forward to for a long time. And finally, Tommy, just before I let you go, as I say before, I know that you're you're very modest, you're very grounded. Uh, if you don't if you don't have one, you don't have to say it. But I want to ask you for your prediction for your fight if you've got one. How do you see your fight ending? Uh, my predictions are win, winning, but. Um... I'm preparing for a, a tough, hard 12 rounds. You know, I'll be honest. He's very tough. He's he's got one, one, one. He's got two losses, and one of them was a freak stoppage. I haven't found out how he was stopped, but that was very early in his career. Um, you know, he is known for being extremely tough. So, and I'm not known for being a big puncher. So I'll be honest. You know, we're looking at a points decision, really. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's fair enough. Of course, riding out, out, decision. You know, tough, tough fight, but it's going to be a going to be a good one, exciting one. I'm looking forward to it. Absolutely, me too. Okay, listen, Tommy, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Thanks for giving us a piece of your time. Best of luck for the twenty second, and no doubt we'll catch up soon. No problem. Thank you very much. Thanks for the call.
Okay, now it's time for part two on this week's show. We're going to start with the preview part. Uh, just before we get onto the preview part, I actually do want to just spend a, a, one minute or so just on the Box Nation production of, of 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 last week's card, Barry. And I was going to do this before I knew that you were coming on. So I've just I've just noted a few things down that I noticed during the whole the whole production. I thought the production was very very good. I think that. Um, the obviously you know BT are now involved. I think the the, the standards were were up to very much so. I know that uh, Ronald McIntosh was brought in as well. I know that he was doing some commentary with you. Um, the thing what disappointed me a tiny bit was I got an email on the day. It was either on the day or the day before. Basically, I don't know if it was a little bit automated, but it was basically saying like you know the fight's going ahead, here's the weights, here's the rounds of every contest, so-and-so, tickets are still available, and it looked to me that every ticket section was still available, which is a bit of a shame, because, you know, it was a, it was a good card, it had loads and loads of fights on it, but I know that that's a thing that will pick up over time. Um, you know, the whole weekend itself, because Box Nation actually obviously had the, the two big bills of the weekend, um, both of the main events, Liam versus Liam and, and the, the Jason Sosa and, and Lomachenko fight, one fighter in both of those fights didn't make the weight initially. I know Jason Sosa was able to, to, to lose the pounds and get back on the scale in time, so that was all fine. But it looked like that could play a part in, in the fights not working out good, but I think it didn't really do any damage to it. I think it was brilliant. Um, I was also a bit intrigued as well by the, the two parts, the... The, of, of the undercard on, on Box Nation, obviously there was like an, an undercard and then there was like a build-up program in the middle of the card and then the main event came on. That was something that I've never quite seen before, something which I think worked pretty well as well. Um, the only thing for me is I'm not sure if there was a fight shown in that time that we missed. Did we miss anything in that time? There would have been a fight. I can't, you know, I can't remember now because I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm off signing off for work sort of thing before I go back in, but yeah, there would have been, but I think it's um, the reason why the production is BT because they got more money, more cameras, and and that that's why you know remember the box nation is a small channel and it costs a fortune to run the shows. So with BT, they got more money and more, you know, obviously more more resources. So they were doing the show, but we were showing it as well. Yeah. The, the half hour gap was where T went live. Yeah, so the, the on BT. I know box nation is part of BT as well. So if you get BT, you get box nation for free. But if you just if you don't have BT, you just have Box Nation. You only see what we show and not what they show. Which they show exactly the same as us, but they didn't show the undercard. So I did the undercard for two hours with Ronald McIntosh and Steve Bunce was with Nashville, and then the half hour gap where the team turned over. Then Richie Woodall took took my place, and John Wallen took the place of of Ronald McIntosh, and then Steve, um, what's his name, the other guy took the place of Steve Bunce, and Steve became a pundit. So. There was a change. They needed a half hour to change everything around there, I think, and that's yeah. that's why that was put into place. And that was it. Then that was their flagship, but just solely for BT on BT Sports, and that was their flagship show. Then obviously, so that was the way that works. Yeah, that was good. It was good. Sorry, yeah. go on. No, no, I said the ticket sales. It was always a, a, a bad idea to put it straight after the big show in Manchester. And I, I, no, I just think of you know, the Grand National as well. I think all that was just. Planning, I think you know. I think BT wanted the show on that day, and obviously Liam Liam Smith was never going to go to Cardiff, which the show should have been because Williams sells more tickets than Smith, to be honest. So you no, know, so I think it would have been better in Cardiff. It would have been packed out in Cardiff. Then obviously Terry Flanagan, a Manchester boy, but then you know there's a lot of fighters on that, some fighters on that bill who don't sell as many tickets, and 
and that's how and it was what it was. But it's a build, it's got to be a building process, you know. You forget it's been boxing for a while, so a lot of these fighters have been getting work and being shown, but lesser profile. Now they got they're going to get a bigger profile on BT Sports with Box Station bringing through the talent as well. If we keep showing the undercard, which will be great, and then they'll they'll have bigger profiles, which means they'll be able to fill up arenas and and then it'll, it'll be a competitive field across Sky and. Box Nation or whatever, or, or Channel Five, where was involved, you know, with everyone. Hopefully, we can be competing on an even keel, and more importantly, unless we get rinsed with pay per views, that everywhere left, right, and centre, which we very well might be. Who knows? I have no no insight into what goes on above my station, above my level. But it'll be entertaining. We get entertaining fights, and that's what we want. Packed arenas, entertaining fights. Every time we turn on a TV show, we want it to be to be that way, don't we? Whether whoever whoever's showing whoever's showing yeah. the boxing whatever channel showing of course and also I will yeah. also make a note on the you know I'm always watching Box Nation in HD um, it seemed like the, the HD was better HD than, than I've ever seen it on Box Nation I'm not sure what that was about I don't know if there's new cameras brought in or what but that was um, no, it know. seemed to me yeah it seemed to me I that know, HD I, yeah. was a lot gonna... better than it has been I don't have Box Nation HD. I have Box Nation on Virgin Media, so that it doesn't have an HD channel. So oh, wow. I watched okay. the show on Box Nation. I watched. I didn't watch it, but I watched it on BT because I get BT with my Box Nation with my Virgin package. So yeah, I didn't see it on HD, which looked great. But yeah, it's yeah. the same. You didn't get to see me on HD. You know, I can I'm much better looking. You know, <laughs> in high definition and anyway, yeah. Anyway, come on, let's get on with it. Just let's not talk about me. It, 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 was a good, it was a good start. It was a good on paper. It was, it was. a good show. And that's all you can do. All you do is put. All you do is make a, make a show that on paper is good. And sometimes you don't live up to the hype. Fight things can happen. People don't make weight. People don't perform. Styles clash. But if you make if if, if on paper is a good fight, then the rest of it's just luck. And that's all you can do as a promoter, I would imagine, and a TV station is you try and make fights that look good, and hopefully they deliver. Yeah, of course. And that was my little segment there on the uh, on the production of, of of the Box Nation card. So that's over now. Going over now Isn't to that? the preview part of the show, starting over in the MGM National Harbour. So this is also the bill that was, uh, you know, that, that staged the Lomachenko card last week. This week, uh, for the interim WBA World Light Heavyweight Title, Dimitri Bivol nine and zero. He's in there against Samuel Clarkson nineteen and three. That should be a decent fight there. A twelve rounder, obviously at light heavyweight there. Dimitri Bivol definitely one to watch out for. Uh, two guys also on that undercard. Hasim Rackman Jr. making his debut. If you haven't put two and two together, that's the son of Hasim Rackman. He's in a well, he's in a contest. It's only a four rounder. He's actually a heavyweight, so that's good news. Also, Sharif. Sharif Rackman, that's another son of Hassim Rackman. He's 1-0 at the moment. He's in a four-rounder as well. His opponent yet to be announced. So both of Hassim Rackman's sons on that bill. That's good to see. Moving over now from Maryland, USA 2. A card happening in Spain. This guy gets an honourable mention. Uh, he got beaten by Lee Selby in his last fight. And Donny Gargo, 16-3 and three with two draws. He's in an eight-rounder at featherweight against Mark Sazoros, who has a record of 4-0. and oh. So we wish Andoni Gargo all the best. And, and just a quick note there, actually, on Lee Selby. Lee Selby's decided, if, if, if listeners haven't seen it, he's decided to put his... Um, his ring jacket that he that he wore to the ring in his last fight against Andoni Gargo, if I'm not mistaken, he's put it up for auction um, through his social media pages. I know that last time he was on the show, he was auctioning his shorts. This time, it's his jacket. Some sort of uh, close friends to or close family 
something to do with his close friends or whatever are going for a bit of a, a rough patch in their life so I think he's I'm not sure what it is I don't think he's going to talk about it but whatever it is he's going to a good cause so if you you know if, if you do get a chance if you're interested in that kind of stuff ju- just tweet him a bid or, or write on his Facebook with a bid and he'll he'll put it in the bids but a uh, nice touch there from Lee Selby a real true classy guy and we love we love having him on the show he's always one of the best to speak to moving over now to the big card this weekend I'd say over in Glasgow, Scotland at the SSE Hydro. We're going to start with the undercard. A um, couple fights to mention on this one. Lawrence Acoli, his opponent yet to be announced as far as I know. He's a four-rounder at cruiserweight. Obviously, Acoli was on a couple weeks back. His, his whole fight lasted about 20 seconds, so we're interested. Hopefully, this one goes a little bit longer. Josh Kelly makes his debut as well, his pro debut. He takes on Jay Byrne, who has a record of 4-1. and one. That's a four-rounder at welterweight. Um... Joe Ham's on the bill. He's record at the moment 10 and 0. He takes on Scott McCormack. This one's for the vacant Celtic Super Bantamweight title. Charlie Flynn's on the bill as well. Charlie Edwards is on the bill. He's fighting for the British Super Flyweight title against Ian Butcher. Ian Butcher 16 and 2. Charlie Edwards 9 and 1. We wish Charlie Edwards all the best. He's a friend of mine, obviously. I spoke to him earlier this week and I said to him about coming on the show and he's he's very very busy with with camp I suppose so hopefully we get him on next week he couldn't come on this week so uh Nonetheless, we wish him all the best. Scotty Cardle's on the bill as well. 21-0 with one draw. He takes on Robbie Barrett, 14-2 with one draw. Also, this is Scotty Cardle's third defense of his British lightweight title. If he wins it, if he wins the fight, he, he obviously gets to keep the title. It's a 12-rounder, of course, at lightweight. Uh, and now the main event, Ricky Burns, 41-5 with one draw, putting his IBF world... Oh, no, sorry, he's not the IBF champion. He's putting his WBA world super lightweight title on the line against Julius Indongo, the IBF world super lightweight champion. His record, 21-0, coming off of a couple of impress- impressive wins. And also the IBO world titles on the line as well. It's a 12-rounder, of course. Barry, basically, I've gone over every every fight there. Is there any fights on the undercard or the main event that you want to say any words on? Just jump into any of them. I think Josh Kelly's good, you know, the Olympian, you know, young kid, real multi-talented fighter, Josh Kelly. I think he's going to be a star. So I think that's one that ever, if he gets shown on Sky TV, which I hope he does, that's one that we, that's one to watch in the future for sure, really is. I, I think Charlie Edwards is in a hard fight against Ian Butcher. I really do. I think Charlie Edwards is going to be good enough to win, but Butcher will make it hard for him. He's underrated. And he, he'll really push Charlie Edwards. And, and he'll go in there, but you're thinking that if you put it on Edwards, he'll fold because of his world title fights. But he, I don't. I think Edwards has made a sterner stuff than, than what Butcher maybe thinks. But it, 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 it's not going to be all easy sailing for Charlie Edwards. That's for sure. But he is a really talented fighter, Charlie Edwards. It's just a shame that he moved up and away, and away from, from Lee Selby. That would have been, uh, Andrew Selby, sorry. It would have been a lovely little fight if there could have been made. And that's it, really. I think, yeah, I think that's Scotty Cardell, you get... You should have that long tail belt for keeps anyway. But obviously, if it depends if it's a draw, so that, that doesn't allow that. So you've got to get another fight under the belt, under his belt, before he moves on to, you would think, European level, I think, Scotty Cardell. Yeah, Charlie Edwards, as I say, that, that is a decent fight. And it is a shame he moved out of the weight. But he's he's now linked up with Adam Booth, which is an interesting link-up as well. So that's one I'm looking forward to seeing, uh, seeing how they work together. And the main event, obviously, I mentioned it there, there, Barry. Anything yeah. to, to 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 throw on that one? I know it's it's going to be well, a good fight. We don't really know too much about Indongo. I know he's he's kind of been a wrecking ball of late, but we don't really know. Is he that legit? The fights haven't gone long enough to really well, tell. But 
It's, it's hard to tell me. It's, it's like Javante Davis, you know, you just think, is he that, I know in Dongo, they're not talking about Dongo as the next saviour of boxing that they had, Javante Davis. You think, is he that good or is just one really good fight? Do you know what I mean? One really good performance. Like, you know, Kalinowski is a good fighter, punch himself, good boxer, and he just wiped him out straight away. So, you know, is that just one of those things? It happens now and again. That, you know, if Kalinowski boxed him again, would Kalinowski deal with an easy? It's hard. I've only seen, that's the only fight I've seen from him long ago. I haven't really had to, cause, you know, it's not this fight I'm working on, so I haven't really delved into him too much. And Ricky Burns, you just think, how long is he going to go on? He looks, you know, he, he looks like he, he looks like he, he had his day, and then he comes back with win after win and good wins. And you know, Ricky Burns is a guy who just won't go away at the highest level. You know, he's Britain's only second three-way world champion. I know that it doesn't have the same um, respect that he used to uh, have years ago, but he still is. The fact that he is, you know, he's a world champion now, light welterweight or super lightweight. Sorry, is this called nowadays? You know, I remember back when he turned pro, you wouldn't be never, we would never ever. You would have got a slap in the face if you said, Ricky Burns is going to be a world champion. Then alone, a three-year world champion. And he, what he's done is just defy the odds throughout his career. The kid's just absolutely... The kid is all about... He's, he got skill, obviously, but he's literally an advertisement for mental toughness and dedication to his, tra- to his craft. That's what he is. He's like, if you want to be a professional, you watch Ricky Burns. Watch Ricky Burns. How he lives his life. How humble he's been in the past. How he trains hard dedicates himself and commits himself in the fight as well he'll go for it if he has to and he's a boxer by trade but he, he's not afraid to go for it when it when, when, it, when needed to be I, and I think you know I think one day the, the gas is going to run out on Ricky Burns and, and, and he's not going to have not going to be able to pull the trigger anymore I think he's got a couple more fights left in him amazingly I still, I still think he does I do I think I think Adongo you know Ricky as long as he doesn't get caught early and if he stays nice and safe and calm and uses that footwork, which he's sort of forgotten about in recent years, that in and out, that tricky little um, jerk style of his feet that he had as, as a lightweight and certainly as a super featherweight, then I think he gets another win, another defence, and unified, part, unifies a, a light welterweight division. And, and then maybe he gets that really big payday you know, before before he retires. And that's what we want to see for him. Ultimately, we want to see him get, that, get a big payday and then sail off into the sunset. A guy's been phenomenal where no one would have given him a chance of being anywhere but that. You know, like men, all he got to fight is Terence Crawford. That's the next, you know, this, that's it. This is unification. I still have two belts each if he can beat Ndongo. Well, what a fuck. Look at that. Who saw that? You know, the Terence Crawford being talked about as the next star of the future and or one of them, one of many, you know, now all of a sudden. But, you know, Bob Arden, top rank, are really pushing him to be the next big American superstar. And Scotland's Ricky Burns, who was literally up until recently, he was still working in a sports shop. Yeah, I think crazy I've business. Been bit, I've been a little bit critical of Ricky Burns. I think that um, I, I honestly think he's kind of there for the taking a little bit with someone who, who's you know a legitimate world level guy at at one forty. I don't think it's the best weight for Ricky Burns either, really. Um, I mean, yeah, since he, he had a bad year in 2013 and 14, obviously the draw with Beltran and, and then he lost to Crawford and lost to Zlatan. Cannon. Um, he, he got like a points win coming back from that. Then he took on Omar Figueroa. He, he did really well, but, it, you know, the scorecards were, were quite wide. Omar Figueroa was on this show talking about it, saying that he had a broken hand. It was the easiest fight of his life. And since then, he, he's kind of put put together a string of wins against, you know, 
some some decent guys, but not not on that level. And then Michelle Dorocco, which was the worst the worst vacant world title challenger I've seen for God knows how long. And obviously he won that, and then he it was a close fight with with Relic. Some people thought that that could have gone. See, Relic's a good so, fighter though. Relic, Relic's yeah. a good fighter though. I I, I think, but I understand what you're saying. He's not there. I almost said the word elite, but I don't believe in elite because if you're world championship, that means you are elite. You know that's what it should mean. So yeah, I mean he's not at that level of the Crawford. So I understand that. But that's a cannon. Look how good he turned out to be. You know what I mean? That, yeah. No, that that obviously. So, and and I, I'm the same with you, Ricky Burns. I've, I've, in my mind, I've, I've written him off loads of times. I really have. I'm like, yeah, that's it now. He can't keep going. He don't move his feet like he used to. That'll be it now. He get found out. And he keeps proving you wrong. And I just think, I think, you know, I think, and someone like the Dongle, who maybe not, might not be the best one, you know, he's the best champion around. I think he's got half a chance. You know? But it is, a, it is a case of when he gets caught, when it, when time catches up with Ricky Burns. And it seems he's, he's shown plenty of signs in the past, but he keeps coming from producing wins. And he's a kid who's not afraid to lose and come back and have another go. But, you know, as all, as time goes on, that rebuilding process gets harder and harder. And also, you've got to think, his promoters, are they going to want to reinvest and go for him with him again? I think once he loses his world title, he either... They either try and trade him in as cannon fodder for on the way down for champions on the way up, or they sort of sort of wash their hands of him, and that's not being callous. That's how the sport works. It really is. But yeah, he's, I mean, been, he's been one of those kids. He's defied the odds from day one, Ricky Burns, and I hope he keeps doing it as long as he wants to, as long as he's not getting seriously hurt and there's no no, no trouble with his health. You know, I think he's been one of those guys who deserved everything. He's worked for everything he's got, and and he. You could be, there's some boxers you, you get a little bit envious of, you think you don't deserve that massive payday, that fella. You just, as a boxer, you're happy that any boxer is money, but you think you don't deserve that more than another fella here. He's getting double, he, he shouldn't be getting double what the other guy's getting. But Ricky Burns, if he was getting 10 million quid, no one would begrudge him a penny. You'd go, good for him, because he'd had to slog through all the shit. And no one give, no one wanted to promote him, no one wanted to, no, like Frank done a great job. and Eddie's done a great job, but no one wants to go to Scotland. They don't want to put. It's like in Wales and Scotland, the two places that people don't want to promote. I don't know why. Maybe it's a hard sell. I don't know how it works, but they don't want to go there, really. And there's great nights in Scotland, and there's great being some great nights in Wales, but they don't really want to go there. And that's just the truth. They want people. They want people want to stay in Manchester, Liverpool, and London. They're the three cities where people want to promote from. I don't, I don't know why. But yeah, I, listen, I think Ricky Burns got a really good chance Saturday night. So I wouldn't be surprised if he just you know, hasn't got no, no gas left in him and he gets solely beat up. It's one of those. Yeah, I mean, as I say, Ricky Burns, he's he's never been stopped. But, uh, you know, Indongo's coming off a free knockout against decent level guys. I, I don't really see him stopping him. But I do, as I say, I do think Ricky's really there for the taking. I think if he was to take on Crawford, I think that Crawford would stop him in a rematch. That's just my opinion. And I know that there's a little bit of talk already about Crawler moving up and taking on Ricky Burns. So for me, I think if he was to come through this fight, they would try to do something in-house, all-match room. Yeah. And I think they're okay. really going to try to buy their time and, and wait for Crawford to 
to, to move up to 147, which he's been talking about for quite a while. And if he relinquishes his belts, then, hey, Ricky Burns has got a few more paydays left. So, uh, yeah, all the best to, to Ricky Burns. Obviously, I hope he does come for it, being being a Brit as well. But, uh, yeah, I think, you know, if, if Ndongo is as good as some people believe he is, then he, he, he probably will beat Ricky Burns. But what we don't want to see is any controversy on the scorecards, which we've seen a couple of times over in that same arena in favour yeah. of Ricky Burns. That's it for that, Bill. Moving out, I'm moving over now to the last couple, couple, couple last fights to do, and we're going to be done, Barry. Um, at, at the uh, the Play Football Arena in Swindon, Wiltshire, United Kingdom. Tamuka Mooch is on this bill, 16 and 0, taking on Rob Hunt, 24 and 5, with two draws. Should be a good fight. Eight rounder there at welterweight. Uh, that's it for that one. Moving over now to a fight happening in the. Uh, I can't really pronounce that, but in some sort of casino in in the US, in Connecticut. Um, one fight to mention on this one, really. Sullivan Barrera, 18-1. and one. He takes on Paul Parker, 8-1. and one. That's a 10-rounder at light heavyweight. Uh, Cassius Chaney as well, friend of the show. Uh, heavyweight prospect. He's in his 10th professional contest. It's a 6-rounder at heavyweight. He takes on Juan Good. That should be a decent win there for Cassius Chaney. A good, promising fighter. And the final bill to mention, just two fights I thought I'd mention on this one, to be completely honest. is it the Charles Harley Davison Huntington, uh, some some sort of bill in, in West Virginia, USA. Um, Bobby Gunn and his son, Bobby Gunn Jr., both on the same bill. I thought we should throw that out there. Bobby Gunn, 21-7 and seven with one draw. His opponent yet to be announced. Obviously, we've seen him lose recently to a... Uh, to a Roy Jones Jr. that's about 147 years old, and Bobby Bobby Gunn Jr. eight and zero, his opponent yet to be announced. So both guys' opponents yet to be announced. But I thought we'd throw that out there as their father and son, both fighting on the same bill, which is good. We haven't really seen that too much. I think that that used to happen a little bit with Oliver McCall and his son. I think they shared a couple of bills, and maybe even Shane Mosley and his son. But uh, yeah, all the best to to both guys there. And that's really it. We've 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 come to the the end of the all the talking here. We've done. The, the the preview we've done the review we didn't have any news this week apart from the little the little thing that Barry Jones shouted out about Natasha Jonas um, yeah we've done the little the little talk on the production my opinion on Box Nation's production and that's really it so before we end the show entirely before we do all the you know we finish all the talking and wrap up part two there's one last thing to do and that's to welcome our second guest but just before that we're going to say goodbye to barry jones so i just want to say barry thank you very much for joining us it's been a pleasure having you on the show for the entirety i hope you've enjoyed it as much as i have joe always nice to talk to you mate you know we go back a few years now pal don't we so it's um fantastic mate and i'll um anytime you need a you need a ring man just give me a bell pal thank you very much barry and without any further ado it's time to welcome guest number two Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome a man who we've had on this show a few times now. He's in another big fight coming up next week. He's known as the Gorilla. It's, of course, Mr. John Ryder. John, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Charles. Good to be back. Yeah, man, it is always good to talk to you. So, John, last time we spoke, you was in sunny Portugal. Where are you now? I'm uh, I'm in not-so-sunny Italy at the moment. <laughs> um, I'm home for this, this, this camp. and uh, Yeah, it's... Um, bit different to where, where I was when you last called me although it's not raining at this time Hey, that's always a plus, of course. Now, we spoke to you before the Adam Eches fight. Uh, that was a tough choice of opponent coming off of the 
I'm going to hold my fingers up and say loss, even though you should have really won to Jack Armfield, in my opinion. But yeah, you moved up in weight to take on Adam Etches. He moved up as well. You looked very, very good that night, by the way. You did a job on him, in all honesty. What did you make of that fight, by the way, John? Because we haven't really spoke to you since, of course. First of all, it was great to get back to winning ways and um, kick off another belt along the way. Um, Adam was a, a tough customer. I knew that he was always going to be tough and gritty and hard and you look at the jimmies in, and the people he trains with day in day out and it, it, it just it, it breeds talent that gym so um, I knew it was going to be tough but um, what 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 had and what stamina you know what I mean at times on in that fifth round I thought he was going to go and I hoped he would and then in the tenth round again and then he lasted to the final bell and just kept coming and I mean people like that they're, they're, they're the best dance partners you know what I mean they, they bring the best out of you and absolutely give it their all and make for a great fight yeah and uh, you know he's known as really and truly he's known as the bomber that's his nickname you know he, he's known to hit hard but to be honest you looked like the puncher in there obviously moving up in weight are you hitting a lot harder now John I don't not that I'd, I'd realise myself um, I suppose I'm, I'm keeping my power throughout the fight now where I was starting off strong and punching crisp and hard and often wilting during as the rounds went by and losing the bit of sharpness and power in the shots. Yeah, well said. And also, just on Jack Armfield there, the uh, you know you should have got the, the the verdict there. He recently fought Brian Rose, and many believe that he got yet another gift decision. Did you happen to see that fight? If so, who did you think won? I, I, I did. So I wasn't I wasn't paid, entirely paying full attention to it. I was. At a, um, I was around my, my brother-in-law's house watching it, and I had um, my little girl's iPad with it on. Um, I was I was taking glances, but it was just um, it was one of them fights. It's a bit subjective how you score it and who you see winning, and uh, I mean it, it wouldn't be fair for me to make a judgment. But listen, I'm happy that he keeps winning and keeps doing well. And if he if he goes on to do big things, I'm happy because it makes my loss to him not not look as bad. Yeah, fair enough. And now the reason we got you on, of course, you're taking on Rocky Fielding on April 22nd in the Echo Arena, Liverpool. Fielding's backyard is for the vacant British super middleweight title. Uh, what are your thoughts on Rocky as a fighter, John? Uh, he's a good fighter. He's, he's a good all-rounder. All um, he's tough. He's big. He, he does a lot of stuff well. Um, but again, I, I feel that I've got the skills to outwork him and, and ultimately beat him. And, you know, I, I sort of looked down his record. He hasn't fought a Southpaw in four years, which is quite a while. I'd imagine in the uh, in the build-up to this fight, I'm, I, I'm not sure who who you've been sparring with, but I'd imagine you've probably done some rounds with Craig Richards. Have you had any other guys in at all? Yeah, we've done... Um, I actually sparred with Craig Richards today. And the 12th round, I um, sparred with him. Sparred with a few young young pros. Uh, Brad Pauls, I think his name is, and uh, Lindus Adolfi, and... Uh, with up GB last week, but I'm sure the lads there, Anthony Fowler, Joshua Wetsy. So I'm getting them all in all shapes and sizes, and um, a lot of them are very sharp, and it's it's really hold like really really doing me good. The spine I'm getting. Yeah, good to hear, my man. And what is it like now being part of the super middleweight division? I know that you've said before that you needed to move up. You felt, but now that you've done it, you fought there, you beat a good fighter in etches, and now you're in one of Britain's best weight divisions, especially, especially domestically. There's so many big fights that can be made for you at that weight, a lot more than there was at middleweight. How does it feel to be a part of that, and also, you know, physically to be a part of that now as well? 
but Joe it feels great because no matter worldwide in boxing, it's great to be in a great domestic scene. And at the moment, I mean, middleweight scene was great a couple of years ago when you had the likes of Murray, Macklin, uh, Barker, then you had Billy Joe, who was at the British level, and you had myself, Eubank, and Blackwell coming through. It was a great time. And at the moment, it just seems like there's a few vacancies there. You've got Billy Joe, who's a world champion, and thankfully he's going to fight for a, a world t- like an interim title. But there, you, you look down the list, and it's, it's a bit open at the moment. But um, you look at like the light world like, scene in, in Great Britain, and, and it's, it's strong with the likes of O'Hara Davis, Josh Taylor, uh, Jack Carroll. This goes on and on, do you know what I mean? It's, um, but there's only there's only very few weights in, in Britain at the moment that had that spark about them. I and I think the super middleweight is, is massively part of it. Yeah, I have to agree. And of course, you're fighting on the Martin Murray versus Gabriel Rosado undercard. That's, again, that's a super middleweight clash or it's, it's thereabouts. Do you have any interest in that fight at all, John? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I, I get on quite well with Martin, although I'm fighting his stable mate. Um, yeah, I think it'd be a great fight. It'll be a great fight for the fans. I read somewhere the other day that it'll be sponsored by Tampax because it'll be that much blood. But um, <laughs> it's, uh, you know what? Yeah, it's just a real fight for the fans. And I mean, it's um, it's last, it's, it's last chance to for for both of them men. And you mean whoever wins that will probably go on and get another world title shot. But whoever is the loser, it's, it's where do they go? It's probably curtains. Yeah, I think it is one of those fights, in all honesty. And there's two more fights I want to ask you about, John. I just want to get your opinion on. You know that I always like to throw a good fight, a few good fights at you. Um, Canelo versus Chavez Jr. coming up in four weeks' time. I know that you you know boxing pretty well. I think you've probably got an opinion on that one. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've, I've been looking into it. I think it's I think it's set for Canelo to win. Do you know I mean, what was what's reading that um, apparently Golovkin's gonna step aside and not fight song to say he can focus on a showdown with um with Canelo in the towards the end of the year. But um listen, who knows? Uh, Chavez might prefer a spanner in the works and really cause an upset. But um I think you just gotta go with, with Canelo for the skills and uh just to get to get a win. And three weeks after that, uh, Kell Brook against Errol Spence. This is a fight that, you know, I've been looking forward to to seeing Kell Brook in a fight. In a, in, a, in a fight where you can say it's pretty much a 50-50, a lot of people actually put in Spence as a favourite. I was actually shocked to see that. I think in some bookies they've got Spence as the favourite here, which is a bit surprising. Is that another fight that you're looking forward to? How do you see that one playing out? Yeah, no, I'm looking forward to that. I've been lucky enough to, to spar with Kell a few times and I'm actually a big fan of his style and what he does. He's he's a real natural. He um he does stuff that can't be taught in, in boxing and like same with Spence, I'm a big fan of Spence, I watch a lot of his fights and you see he's he's a lot had a lot of good good stand out performances like with Chris Algieri and people like that, but I mean it's just it's about levels boxing, isn't it? I mean, although he's he's shone in those fights and Kelbrook's had a few mandatories that have not been fantastic. But these are his mandatories, and you have to take care of them. Do you know what I mean? So um, it's come about now. Errol Spence, who is a mandatory, and I think I just think Kel will have the the grit and experience to do it. I mean, although you can't you can't give credit for a loss against Golovkin, but he did show some great some great attributes there. And despite what Golovkin said, I do think he had him hurt at a point and called him a good shots and 
maybe made Glovkin think a bit. Yeah, it's an intriguing one. It's uh, you know, obviously you've got Kel, you know, that that fight against Sean Porter, which pretty much sort of boosted his career up there and then a few yeah as you say the mandatories that he took care of we, we didn't really enjoy too much of those and um, you know as we say in as well Errol Spence he's been stopping people that really he has no right to be stopping he's you know the job he did on Algieri was quite impressive and also uh, his name slipped me at the moment but that guy uh, you know the Italian guy I think he's about 42 it's completely forgot completely oh, the, 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 the Bundu Yes, 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 you're a saver. Wicked. Yeah, but finally, John, the last question. The last question I've got for you now before I let you go. What will we see from yourself? What should we expect from yourself come the 22nd? To see my arms raised with that British title around my waist. That's that's the dream. As simple as that, as, as short and sweet as that, John. Yeah, just a, just a win for me and that belt around my waist. That belt that I've craved for so long and that I'm going to get at my third attempt absolutely the win is all that matters okay listen John it's always a pleasure my man best of luck on the 22nd and God willing the next time we speak I'll be speaking to the new British super middleweight champion definitely okay now it's time to conclude episode 78 of the Box Hard podcast I've been your host Joey Coastman Barry Jones has been the fantastic Barry Jones this week's show if I'm not mistaken has been the longest show we've done so if you're still with us right up to this very moment you probably deserve some kind of interim belt yourselves a big thank you to our two guests Tommy Langford and John Ryder both guys in big fights next weekend we hope that they get through those tests remember we're now on Instagram as well as Twitter, both of those at Box Hard Podcast. We'll be back next week with another big show, as always. Until then, take care.